Man. And then there was one, and it was Sting, and he didn't look too good. Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan is here. Hulk Hogan's here. Hulk Hogan is in the building. You're damn right he is. Go get him, Hulk, sir. Now on whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes, sir. Get him, Hogan. Go get him, baby. Come on and get some of this now. Who's bad now, boys? Hulk Hogan arrives. He is the third man Look in at this. this picture. Oh, my God. What the hell is going on? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to July of 1996, a volume one of this month's show. Volume two is your WWF action looking at international incident. Volume three is all of your ECW action. And in volume four, we take our latest trip to the UFC for UFC 10. But we're here in volume one to discuss WCW. I'm being joined firstly by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good afternoon. Afternoon, Bob. And Rory McNamara. Hi, Bob. Uh, big show ahead of us. Rory, kick us off with the news. Hulk Hogan officially turned heel at the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, aligning himself with the now formerly named Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. The match started out three against two, with Luger being knocked out early, levelling up the numbers. Hogan came out with both Savage and Sting down before dropping the leg on Savage twice. It was at this stage he high-fived Nash and Hall. The show ended with Hogan cutting a promo explaining his turn, while all three men were pelted with rubbish. The group probably accidentally christened the New World Organization by Hogan, and now known as the New World Order. Given how overt commentators have been about who is going to be next, it remains a when rather than if the group expand. Plans called for Sting to be the person who turned, if for whatever reason Hogan didn't, and details for the whole thing were still being planned out as the day of. The turn aside, Bash of the Beach will be remembered for a classic opening match between Rey Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis. Disco Inferno was another big surprise, having a very good match in a losing effort with Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight title. Elsewhere, there were wins for John Tenter, DDP, The Nasty Boys, Steve McMichael, Ric Flair and the team of the Giants and the Taskmaster. Due to the Olympics... All for Nitro's following the pay-per-view heard live from Disney MGM with Turner's broadcasting trucks in Atlanta. The July 22nd show marked the first of a two-hour run to feature ratings drop between one hour, hours one to two, but this may well be down to the Olympics also. Television featured all, all the fallout from the Hogan turn and the newly formed MWO, including a highly memorable attack angle on the final show of the month. The WCW tag titles changed hands twice in the final week of July, with the Steiners winning and losing the belts against Harlem Heat. August house shows in Baltimore and Norfolk have been cancelled after too many talents complained about the schedule. And while there have been no significant developments in the lawsuit we mentioned at length last month, depositions are being made. Hogwile will be an entirely free show, held outdoors next month, headlined by Giant vs Hogan and Sting and Lex Luger vs The Outsiders. August will also feature a class of the champions pitching Ric Flair against the now Hollywood Hogan in a repeat of a record-breaking clash from two years ago. And finally, it's said that WCW have made an offer to David Boy Smith and they're also considering making one for Chris Jericho. Next month we've got 
to somehow schedule in two shows, but I'll work that out in a few weeks. We move on to the ratings for the month. On July the 1st, Nitro did a 3.3 to Raw's 2.6. On July the 8th, the night following the Bash at the Beach, Nitro did a 3.5 to Raw's 2.5. On July the 15th, Nitro did a 3.4 to Raw's 2.6. July 22nd saw Nitro do a 2.6 to Raw's 2.2. This is probably when the Olympics are starting to kick in. Uh, and we'll have the July 29th ratings next. Well, they didn't come here to eat popcorn and drink Cokes. Well, yeah, that's what they've got. Yeah, what the heck are they doing? But that's a sham. I know it. They don't have tickets or anything. Get security out here and get them out of here. I want them out of here now. We start Nitro on the 1st of July with Tony and Larry welcoming us to the show. Immediately Darren Dallas Page interrupts because he's looking for his Lord of the Ring ring and he demands that everyone is strip searched. We throw to a WCW tag team title match between the new champions Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers. The match is decent TV fare, but no more. We also spend a fair slice of it seeing the horsemen enjoying themselves in the VIP section. The Heat retain after Colonel Rock Parker hits Rick with a cane. Back to the VIP area. Deborah, Elizabeth and Woman are very confident that the money won't run out. The horsemen are confident of victory against the Rock and Roll Express and Joe Gomez and the Renegade later. I think they might be alright on that one. After yet another Glacier promo, we're treated to Disco Inferno versus Kurosawa. A complete nothing match. Kurosawa gets distracted by an Elvis impersonator in the gangway, allowing Disco to hit him with a disco ball which descended from the ceiling. Yes, that actually happened. A basic but perfectly acceptable match between DDP and Scotty Riggs follows. Page wins the match with a diamond cutter to a large pop. Just before the first hour is up, Randy Savage defeats Greg Valentine in a short contest with the big elbow drop. This is notable for little other than Tony suggesting that Greg could be the third man. Eric attends to some quote-unquote personal business, thanking everyone for the overwhelming show of support he received after the Great American Bash. He then turns his attention to Nash, thereby naming an outsider on air for the first time, telling him that Sting, Luger and Savage aren't afraid and how much he'd be looking, he's looking forward to the Bash at the Beach. He is concerned for his own well-being after last week's baseball bat incident. Bischoff shills the PVV again, but the audience get distracted because... The outsiders are here. They're coming through the crowd and carrying drinks and popcorn as they make their way to the front row. Doug Ginger confronts them, but Nash shows off the fact they have ringside tickets. We came to see the big boys. Yet another Glacier promo. Next up is a world title match with the giant defending against John Tenter and his half-shaved head. The commentators are more concerned with who the third man is and by the sounds of it so the dead crowd. The giant dominates most of the terrible match until Tenter rallies with an impressive drop kick. At that point the Taskmaster comes out and serves as a distraction. Then the giant recovers, hits a chokeslam and regains the title. Big Bowigan gets in the ring and shaves off half of Tenter's beard. Oakland then interviews the antagonist about their upcoming pay-per-view matches, but nobody really says anything of note. Giant shouts a lot. And now the outsiders have got some microphones. They head towards the commentary box, and at one stage Nash, Nash definitely tells someone to get the fuck out off mic. 
Sting, Luger and Savage come out to confront them, followed by the likes of DDP, The Giant and Kevin Sullivan. Nash calls them all clowns. Savage tries to follow the outsiders as they saunter off, but security stop him. We return to Oakland interviewing Jim Duggan. We learn that in the men's room he has found something. It's DDP's King of the Ring ring. A nice slip there from Gene Oakland. DDP appears and calls Duggan a thief. Duggan responds with a tape fist shot and knocks DDP down. The main event is an eight-man tag match between the Four Horsemen and the Rock and Roll Express, Joe Gomez and the Renegade. The match starts with a big in-ring brawl between all eight before settling down. Babyface team dominate for a good long while until Flair hits Gomez with an eye poke and the horsemen take control. Some fine action in this match, Benoit in particular looking extremely motivated. It eventually breaks down into another Pier Sixer, then Michaels, McMichaels shoves the Renegade off of the top rope, allowing Flair to slap in figure of four and get the win. Oakland interviews to the horsemen. Michael doesn't care about Chicago as, quote, the horsemen are his team now. Flair tells us that the party will go on all night long. We return to Bishop and Heenan to supposedly wrap things up. The time for talking, the time for interrupting is all over with. Heenan asks why we can't know who the third man is now, which Bishop puts down to cowardice on their part. We cut to the back where the outsiders are being led out of the building by security. That took a while. They take their sweet time of leaving on account of Nash's bad knees. Rory. They then head away in an open top vehicle, looking and sounding very confident indeed. Kirsan! What now? Looks like we're taking over a little early! Hey look! Hey look! Big man! Donnie Osmond's back! He's back! Hey Bischoff, you get a couple frequent flyer miles for that last ride there! Oh, that's good. That's real good. Eric, let's get out of here. Oh, my God. Hey, get him out of here. Hey, hey. Easy, easy. Oh, look, the clowns. Look at the clowns. Oh, look at the clowns. Get him out of here. I know, I'm still looking for that third guy. There's still just two of them. Look at Sam, it's the wild man. He's going. You don't want none of this. You don't want none of this. Bubba's out here. Diamond Dallas is out here. Kevin Sullivan's out. The Giants just come out. I tell you this what. Is this the best you got? Is this the best you got? You're going to need more than that. I'm telling you, I don't like the looks of this. I mean, you've got everybody in the WCW locker room. They have put everything aside. Luger's out there. The Steiners are out there. Sting's out there. They're calling for you. And we come back in. We'll jump straight in. Well, not straight into the pay-per-view. We'll actually jump into the main event that airs prior. If I can get my notes to hand. Here we go. We start the main event prior to the pay-per-view with Dusty Rose declaring this is WCW's Independence Day. Jim Duggan is doing a live chat on CompuServe in front of a blank screen. Not that one. We get a match in the... Only Jim Duggan. Uh, we get a match between the Starters and Harlem Heat. Colonel Parker gets thrown into the ring by Rick. He gets, uh, he goes to attack him and who's back? It's Sister Sherry. They embrace and the segment and the match doesn't seem to go anywhere. Yes, they are still 
you know, digging this storyline back up. Gene Oakland is backstage. There are police behind him. Gene says he's got a, quote, pretty good idea who the third man is, but he's not going to tell us here. Call the hotline to find out. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, Gene. We get a promo from Ric Flair previewing his match with Conan. They're saying currently that Eric Bischoff is nowhere to be found. That actually was kind of true. Bischoff didn't arrive to the building until immediately prior to the uh, main event started. Um, and so as a result, they just turn it into a storyline throughout the show. Bischoff doesn't appear at all. Uh, Billy Kidman hit a very nice second rope moonsault in his match with hard work Bobby Walker. Walker otherwise made light work of him. We get a promo from Lugat, Sting and Savage. All three are decked out in face paint. Sting says he's dying to know who the third guy is. Get a promo from the Giant. Then we move on to the Rock and Roll Express win as we get a breakdown and communication between Fire and Ice. They're in a confrontation after the match. Eddie Guerrero defeats Lord Stephen Regal by roll-up. Important to note that essentially the four or five promos I mentioned there we get the same combinations of promos throughout the show. They're obviously different. They record, um, they record them again. Uh, but if you saw Saturday Night and then watched the paper, you think, we're seeing all of these again. That's a bit weird. Anyway, on to the Bash of the Beach. Rory kicks off with the results. I will. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Psychosis. John Tenter defeated Big Bubba in a Carson City Silver Dollar match. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. The Nasty Boys defeated Public Enemy in a double dog collar match. Dean Milenko defeated Disco Inferno to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Steve McMichael defeated Joe Gomez. Ric Flair defeated Conan to win the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. The team of the Giants and the Taskmaster defeated Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. And in our main event, the Outsiders and, yes, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Sting and Lex Luger to a no contest Why what do you think of this show? Catch 22 really um, if it wasn't for the ending and obviously that historic and, and iconic moment then this is probably going to be one of the um, one of the worst pay-per-views that they've uh, that they've put out there, and we've, and we've seen some bad ones in our time. Um, but that being said, you know they had a fantastic opener. I'd probably say there was one, two solid matches on on there. But again, there's there's matches on there that don't belong on a pay-per-view. People that don't belong on a pay-per-view. But again, I think all the talk is is going to be what what happened right at the end. Roy. Uh, yes, I agree. Um, it's almost going to be difficult to assess this pay-per-view in any real terms, the like of which we've done before, because what happened at the end was so huge, so shocking and so seismic. It makes everything that came before it almost seem insignificant, which probably does explain why at least three or four of the matches we saw were were complete nothings. However, there was a lot to enjoy here. The opener was terrific. Uh, there was a great surprise midway through. We got a title change in there as well. And of course, I cannot criticise a pay-per-view which features what we got to see at the end. So, some of its parts greater. It's a pay-per-view you have to see. I quite like the show. Um, f- forget about the ending for a minute. Um, I-, I didn't think there was, w- with the exception of probably, um, I suppose there's two fairly flat matches in the middle, flat to poor. Um, but there was just about enough going on in these matches in the middle to keep me interested. Um, and, you know, you, you bookend this show with a fantastic opening match, um, some good stuff in the middle, and a phenomenal post-main event angle. I thought this was a really good show. Um, but 
you know, I, I get the feeling as we go through it, I may start to realize the error in my ways as we, uh, as we allot a proportionate amount of time to everything on the undercard and a disproportionately short amount of time to what happens at the end. Uh, but anyway. We start, Bobby Heenan joins Shivani and Rose on the call. We're in Daytona Beach and WCW have done a fantastic job with the set. Roy, just sand all over the place. The WCW are really good at this. Absolutely. Um, I thought it was, it felt like an actual bash at the beach, right down to an inflatable shark. You can't that, knock it. Well, you, you can't, particularly the shark isn't on the roster anymore. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it felt like a more beach-like set than the bash at the beach last year, which was on an actual beach. And that was Probably made a tiny bit more money this time as well. Probably did. So they Probably can afford to get the bucket and spade in or whatever. Well, it it's, it's all right. They've uh, their, their carbon footprint will be offset when they get to <laughs> next month and invite a uh, a lot of bikers in. For free, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that there and then. We open up. With Psychosis versus Ray Mysterio Jr. Mike Janay now jo- joins what is now a four-man commentary team. Mysterio fires Psychosis to the outside with a whippy arm drag. Psychosis ties Mysterio up with a leg grapevine and an arm lock. He follows that with a crucifix arm bar. I wonder if we're headed down the road we did last month. Some flippy stuff. Psychosis hits a lovely spin kick, sending Mysterio to the outside. Psychosis then does a suicide dive over the top rope, taking Mysterio out and basically landing on his head. Psychosis hits a leg drop off the top for a two. He then levels him with a clothesline. Psychosis takes uh, a run at a fallen Mysterio on the apron. Mysterio flips him into the ring post with a pole attached to it. That will come into play in the second match. Mysterio gets up, takes the run up and hits a big Hurricane Rana. Mysterio flips off the top rope, hits a Hurricane Rana in the ring and rolls it in through into a lovely pin attempt for a two. Psychosis goes for a head scissors. They return to a standing position. He sends Mysterio flying with uh, who lands chest first on the top rope. With Mysterio on the floor, Psychosis hits a senton from the top rope. That looked painful, just landing on his arse, basically, on the uh, on the matting on the outside. Um, Mysterio hits a cartwheel into a head scissors, then comes off the top with a drop kick. The crowd are going with this. Mysterio comes off the top, hits Hurricane Rana from the top to Psychosis on the apron, sending them both tumbling to the floor. Back in the ring, Mysterio hits a split-legged moonsault, then a drop kick. With Psychosis on the outside, Mysterio hits a twisting moonsault from the second rope, taking out Psychosis and cracking his leg on the guardrail. We go to the top, Psychosis sets for a splash mountain, you might probably recognise it more as a razor's edge. Mysterio cows it into a reverse hurricane runner, Psychosis crashes to the mat, Mysterio picks up the win and the crowd popped big for that. Wayne? What a finishing move. Uh, that was awesome. Um, obviously, the crowd popping for it was um, probably doesn't give it enough respect, in all honesty. Uh, uh, it, it just what a finish for it. But um, the, the match, I think we can all agree that it was it was fantastic from from start to finish, and not just the guys in the ring as well. Um, you know, we talk about uh, Mike Tanay a lot, and it's it's very refreshing for him being on commentary because. He calls moves for one, um, and it does actually get a bit of respect from uh, from, from Heenan and um, Rhodes in, in in this in calling this match as well. So uh, you know, hats off to uh, to those guys. Speaking about the guys in the ring, you know, we, we we covered Mysterio a bit last month on on the show with with the with the match he had with with Malenko, and, and again, he's done nothing wrong in uh, in, in in this match. Um, I think it was all edge of the seat stuff. Uh, again, Mysterio, you know, great fodder for, uh, um, for, for for bigger men, as we'll see in the last episode of uh, of Nitro, um, and he, he can be very very useful in that role, as you know, as long as he's not going to be getting fed week by week. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I think him as a performer, you know, there's a lot to, to see. He's still very young and, and psychosis as well. Still, still very excited to see what these two can do moving forward. Roy? Just absolutely wonderful. I mean, we say it so often on this podcast how important to a pay-per-view event your opening match is. And these two were just given 50 minutes to go out there and give it to us. And they gave it to us in absolute spades. They treated us quite some, to an absolute... I was going to call it a clinic. It's it's not a clinic we check into very often in North America, but if, if we're going to have at least one of these a month, I'm getting lots of them on night shows. Well, well. I, I suspect also you might have to check these two into a clinic, given how <laughs> these bumps oh, as well. One, you, mentioned it, you mentioned it, absolutely, Bob. You mentioned it there in the, in your rundown. I mean, that, that sent on. I mean... That was just, that was just arse flat, quite simply, wasn't it's it? Just like just like jumping off a roof and landing on your ass. On a, there was no on protection, a cushion, yeah. <laughs> Unless no protection there whatsoever, to, to, to say the very least. But they just absolutely went for it. As like I said before about these two, when when they're facing each other, we saw it in ECW. I really get the sense that they are pulling out the stops, not just to wow the crowd, but to try to win the match. It isn't just an, an exhibition of dazzling moves. It's dazzling moves with a purpose. And these two just go together so well. And I'm just visualising it in my head now, that finishing sequence. I mean, the crowd went mental for that, and so did I. I was out of my seat. This was 15 minutes of just fantastic, high-octane, high-flying wrestling action. And you have to see this. It's an easy match of the year contender for me. Yeah, um, it's just really good. I, we, you know, We went through the match last month, and I kind of felt that it was a bit too... You know, binary in the sense that it was just Mysterio being yeah you know, beaten up for a while and then having this big comeback and it really it didn't really flow. Um, this match had a lot of flow to it. It felt like you know both guys have clearly worked with each other a ton already, um, but it didn't feel rushed. It didn't particularly feel like they were, you know, in the context of Lucha Star. It didn't feel like they were oversell yeah, yeah. underselling, yeah. which I think was was the big concern. As a concern I had last month was that the pacing, even for such a match, kind of felt about right. And as I say, like they kicked the crap out of each other and they kept going. Like, they didn't slow down at all. Um, and and it's credit to these. I mean, I don't know how many of these matches you can have if you intend to live beyond the age of forty-five. <laughs> um, but you know, like. To an extent, like you know, and, and I always say, and, and it was a, a great trait of someone like John to be bad. And, and, and the more I watch his run in the uh, in the WWF, the more I think I can say it's a great trait of someone like John to be bad, not necessarily someone like Mark Marrow, is that a guy that comes out and doesn't get much of a reaction, but by the end has the crowd in the palm of their hands. And you know, the crowd haven't seen anything like this, but they got over. I guess the only slight slight concern both these guys are in masks. That's tough. That's tough for an American audience that doesn't yes. doesn't, you know, there aren't or there haven't been many masked guys in the last ten, fifteen years that come to mind in terms of guys that got over in a big way. Um but if they can wrestle like this, um it doesn't really matter. Wait, Wayne, where does this match stand in, in, in the kind of rankings of, of WCW matches you've seen since you, you joined us? Oh, it's, it's probably in the top three. Um, I'm just trying to think back now of, uh, of other matches that would probably take the shine off it. I mean, if we're going all out on actual in-ring work, then uh, then I can't see far past uh, past this match. I mean, the only other match we can obviously talk about is the Halloween Havoc match last year, but as I said, on, on in-ring only, 
it's, uh, it's, it's going to be very, very hard to top this one. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, I think the only other in-ring match that comes to mind might have been Pillman and Johnny B. Bad last year. That was a that was a 25-minute barn burner itself. Um, but yeah, right up there, highly entertaining. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that will, you know, kind of come and go with this format in terms of, you know, whether how you can get these guys over. Um, in terms of as characters, if they're both going to be under mass, we'll discuss a bit about that towards the end of the month. Uh, but so far, so good. We had an interview backstage with me and Gene Oakland with Conan. Conan says he hasn't been here for long enough to form a alliance with anyone, but if any of Flair's party gets involved, he will cripple them. You still don't know where Eric Bischoff is. Next up, it's Big Brother with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenter in a... What, what was it, Rory? Uh, Carson City? Carson City Silver Dollar match. That's right. Sock of silver dollars on a pole is what I wrote down. <laughs> uh, that that plays back to an angle on Nitro in June where Bubba hit Tenter with a sock of silver dollars in the face. He caught him with one um, during that. Um, they they cut to the wide angle on the pole. He's massive. Like this isn't like a yeah a basketball hoop in your back garden. This thing was about twenty feet long. Was was my estimate. And the match started, and I kind of went. Well, neither of those two are going to be able to get up there. Um, and so it, it, the, it fell to 55-year-old Jimmy Hart to get the work done, but we'll, uh, I'll describe that in, uh, in story. So here we go. Tenta takes a run up, but runs into a back elbow from Bubba. Tenta goes for the pole on the turnbuckle. Bubba runs up and hits a belly-to-back suplex. Bubba goes for the dollars. Tenta crotches him on the top. Bubba goes for the pole again, decides it ain't going to work, and he decides he's going to try and take the pole down to him. Delay enables Bubba to choke him with the belt. This has turned into a no-DQ match, apparently, as the belt athletic tape is now legal. Uh, uh, Tenter then gets taped to the rope. Bubba takes the scissors to Tenter's hair. Tenter low blows him, cuts himself free, and goes to cut down the strapping holding the pole in place. Bubba gets back to his feet and continues the attack. Bubba tells Jimmy Hart to climb it. Hart actually makes a bloody good effort shimmying up the pole, and thank God he did, because no one else is going to. Um, also looked really dangerous, because the pole wasn't particularly held on very well, and Jimmy Hart is a very old man. Uh, Hart grabs the coins, slides down, but as he gets to the top of the turnbuckle, it turns out Tenter's there. Tenter hits him, grabs the coins, levels bubble with them, and wins the match. Rory? Uh, this might surprise you. Uh, it surprises me, but I really didn't mind this. Um, and the reason I didn't mind it is because it told a very, very simple story, but it told it well. The object of the match is to, for somebody to climb up a pole and get this supposedly deadly weapon. Now, OK, <laughs> it's a sock with some dollars in it, but if you're going to have an on-the-pole match, you've got to believe that what you're trying to get is something that you absolutely need to get. So the pole was, was uh, 20 feet high. There's no way John Tenter's going to climb that. So what's he going to do? He's going to try and take the moorings off. Fine. Big Bubba's not going to get up the pole. He's going to send Jimmy Hart up there to try to get them. Yeah, makes sense to me. It's simple, but it's, it has its own internal logic. And it was played out. Okay, the parts where they actually weren't trying to get the sock weren't exactly high-octane action, to say the very least. But uh, I think we were both expecting that. But at the end, uh, the, the right person won. Uh, this little mini-feud is over. Uh, it's nothing we'll remember in two months' time. But... Uh, it did what it had to do, and sometimes, especially on the undercard of WCW pay-per-views, that's uh, that's all I ask. Wayne? 
I can I can see the logic that Rory's applying there with uh, you know it, it told the story of, uh, of obviously the logic of um, of the pole match, but I don't know. I, I, we, we said it we said it about these two guys last month in the um, in the last pay per view, and you know I, I don't need to be be seeing these um, again really. You know I don't even think the gimmick saved it because. All, all, all I was thinking about is what you had um, at the start, Bob. Is they're not going to reach that? You know, it's far too. I was expecting something else to be attached to it when the two guys come in because we saw the thing hanging in the uh, in, in the previous match, and all I was thinking about is you know they're going to put something, um, you know, going to attach something on it, and then when they showed it a close up and it was a sock full of dollars, I was like, neither of these guys are, are going to be able to get up there, and you know, for for me that you know that made it a, a, a little bit worse because that's all all I was thinking about. The only thing I am glad of is is it's over with. The feud's over with. Like Rory says, the right guy won. Tent has got his come up. Um, Tent has got his uh, payback on these guys, and you know, hopefully, we can just now move on and uh, and, and move forward with others. Uh, I, I'm with Rory on this one. Um, just just enough going on to keep me interested. Um, and we've seen a fair few stipulation matches in the past across both two major companies and a lot of the times, particularly if it involves Bret Hart but, but other people too a lot of the times you go did the stipulation improve the enjoyment of the match versus what it would have been otherwise and quite a few times you'd say no it didn't I kind of thought this did um, it, it, it might have been a sideshow it might have been a more you know but Ordinarily, I'm not watching a John Tenter Big Bar match and going, "How the hell are they going to get to a finish here?" And this one, I was, perhaps for the wrong reasons. Um, but the action was okay. It didn't go too long, but it went a while, um, and I wasn't bored. And all credit in the world for Jimmy Hart because otherwise, they'd still be there now. <laughs> you know, nobody knows what they'd be doing now, but they'd still be trying to pull it down. Um, you know, still be trying to climb. I do at some stage. One would just snap the pole, I suppose. Um, but yeah, um, decent match. Um, you know, could have been a lot worse. I think could have been a lot worse if it had been a singles match. But I, I think the the one thing I think we are unanimous on is thank God it's over. Yes. Another promo with Luger, Sting, and Savage. Luger looks like he's reading from cue cards, which makes him very coherent. The trio are up for this. Next up, it's Darren Dallas Page versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, take this match for the Lord of the Ring ring. Page takes Duggan's feet around the ring post. Duggan gets free. Page gets stood up through the middle rope and top rope. And Duggan seesaws in with some punches, which is quite cool. Out of the outside, and Duggan drives Page to the guardrail on the ring post. Page goes to the top. Duggan crotches him. That looked good. Get back in the ring. Page kicks the middle rope into Duggan's crotch. Hits the diamond cutter and wins the match. Post-match, Duggan retapes his fist and levels Page with a right. Wayne? The only thing I can probably say is that it was better than the last match. We've been saying good things about DDP um, over the course of the last 12 months, probably. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's doing well. He's still showing signs of improvement. Um, you know, I could probably see why they've put him up against Duggan because he's an old head, and you know, he can probably give him some advice in the ring and, and give him a bit more experience. But I wasn't a fan of this match at all. Again, it was, um, it was, it was quite slow, boring, and, and yeah, just didn't didn't enjoy it at all. But as I said, it was the only saving grace for it is that it was better than the last match. Rory? This might surprise you. <laughs> I'm only joking. No, this this really wasn't very good at all. Um, I, I concur with everything Wayne has just said. Um, DDP got the win that he needs. He, he needs to be winning matches and winning matches cleanly. 
as uh, for, to continue his deserved uh, move up the card because his in-ring work over the last six or seven months has just got better and better and better when the booty man's not involved. Uh, Duggan is just there. I, I remember on my very first pod uh, back in uh, November last year, I said Jim Duggan offers nothing to professional wrestling in 1995. He offers even less now, but uh, I've, I've learned to tolerate him. He's he, he's there for a cheap pop and nothing more. I can I can I can leave or leave him. But um, DDP won cleanly. It was a short match, um, and we don't need to worry much more about this one. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it was it was short enough. Um, but both of these guys are just about above the waterline when it comes to kind of nothing WCW acts. Um, I'd kind of rather see both guys in other programs. Uh, yeah, as much as we talk about DDP, I feel like you could do a bit more with Duggan. Um, we may get to see a bit more with Duggan as we'll come to later in the month. Um, but yeah, just it just didn't work. I mean, I, it didn't help that the feud was based over the Lord of the Ring ring, which you know I don't think Duggan really had anything to do with anyway. What well, he did, but I don't think anyone cares. Um, and it wasn't really a thing that anyone was really invested in. So you're saying, well, you know. Page lost this ring. That doesn't really matter. You know, pretend that people are fighting over it. You know, it doesn't really make sense, does it? Anyway, Steve McMichael and Deborah are on CompuServe. I don't wish to overdo the main event thing, but they're basically recycling those interviews, as I said earlier. Ogland this time with Taskmaster, Giant, and Hart that we got on that show as well. After that, we get Benoit and Anderson. Next up, it's the Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys in a double dog collar match. The Public Enemy get a serious battle pyro on their way out. We have the usual split screen, uh, split screen, sorry, grunge is tied to knobs, rocks to sags, rock to sags. Knobs unloads a bin and then just gets smashed it over the head of grunge twice. Grunge and knobs head up the staging area and start fighting in the sand. Knobs then hits grunge with an inflatable shark. Grunge hits knobs with a bulldog on the wooden ramp. Rocco Rock hits a flip dive off the lifeguard chair onto sags. Rock buries sags under the lifeguard chair. Knobs throws grunge to the fans. Sag slams the table on top of Rock. The table gets set up. Sag pile drives Rock. Knobs launches a big something at Grunge. That was an option gap in my notes. Uh, Sags ends up on top of the table. Rock basically drives him through it. We return to the ring. The table gets put inside it. Knobs then gets thrown onto the table, which is propped up on the top rope with the legs facing upwards. Rock turns it over. Rock goes for a senton. Sags yanks him off the top, and Rock flip dies onto and bounces off of the table. They build these tables bloody well in WCW. Sags wraps his forearm in the chain, goes to the second rope, and jumps on top of Rock on the table. Table once again doesn't break. Grunge gets sent over the top and basically gets hanged by a chain by his neck. Knobs pulls hard in the other direction and create like a chain link clothesline across the ring. Rock gets rammed into that. Sags pins Rock, and that will do that. But the brawl continues after the match. Rory? Yeah, see, I had fairly high hopes for this one because I remember uh, the match these two had a clash of the champions back in January. I think it only lasted about four minutes. And uh, I remember saying that um, with, a, with a bit more time and uh, a bit more intensity, intensity permitted, they could really do something. I was hoping this match would be it, and it wasn't. They, uh, they got the pacing all wrong. Uh, for the first seven or eight minutes, it was basically a comedy match. They're hitting each other with... Yes, I'm going to use that phrase again. We said inflatable sharks three times now in the course of this event. Uh, inflatable sharks and jumping off lifeguard chairs. It's it's amusing, but this is a double dog collar match. Now I want to believe that these you know these four men want to beat the absolute tar out of each other, 
And when you're selling shots like that, it just takes you out of the moment completely. And they sort of meandered back to the ring because they needed to do do the serious stuff. And it just didn't work. Okay, they were unlucky with the, the table not breaking. And very nearly breaking Rocker Rock's back in the process of doing so. And uh, these things happen. Yeah, they seem to have to go to an, an, an overly rough and tough finish. With I don't need to see anybody being hanged in a professional wrestling match. And yet in the ring, we're supposed to believe somebody's being pinned off, being lightly tapped in the chest by a chain. And... It was, it was whipped into it. Yeah, okay. okay. There's more to it than that. Okay, it, it didn't, it, it, it didn't feel like a finish to me. It really didn't. That's a, that's a suppose, transitional move, yeah. First page of the textbook, yeah, whipping somebody into a chain, yes, uh, name on the marquee wrestling there. But it was, it was disappointing, uh, it was, in the end, it was a flat end to a match that really could have been a lot more, and I was left feeling very cold by it, I'm afraid. Why? Yeah, it was okay, but like, like Rory said, you know, you're probably expecting better from these teams, and, and that's what I was as well. You know, I've seen a double dog collar match, tag collar match in, uh, in ECW with Pitbulls and Eliminators, if memory serves right. Yeah. Um, the person with that was, uh, was, was probably saying it was just hard hitting through, throughout. Um, but I preferred that match to, to this match. Again, maybe it was because I was expecting, I was expecting better from from these two, and and I, and I didn't see it. But uh, the finish as well didn't didn't really sit with me. So I'm going to agree with with Rory on on that one. But uh, the it was the production that let it down for me more than more than anything else. I'm not a fan of split screens. Saw one with um, with Road Warriors and Sting and Booker T at the Uncensored pay per view a couple of months ago. And, you know, you're trying to keep up with, with the both screens and, you know, it is hard to, to take note. Not only that as well, but the split screen was base, basically on the tide. Um, which if you're seasick, that's probably not a good thing, thing for you. Um, and I said, the, the, the production itself, you two guys are, are a fan of the, uh, of the beach setting. It wasn't for me. It reminded me too much of, uh, of a fake concession stand. All those, uh, well, last year it was, but, uh, it, it, you know. So it's that hard to find a real beach in well, Daytona Beach Arena. Yeah. No, I mean, I, mean I, I think my qualm of the fake concession stand was you could have used the real one. Well, yeah. And, and I think this is, this is what I'm coming to is they, they've, they've had a fight in there and, and it, it, it's not more the, the setup. I think it's just worth the, the, the picking the fight in all honesty because we saw, um, Taskmaster and Benoit last month have a real hard hitting match and, and that seemed real. This to me didn't seem real. You know, it's probably the fourth time we mentioned it now, but hitting, hitting each other with an inflatable shark, hitting each other with, with a surfboard, which didn't really seem like it, it hit him that hard with, with it in, in the first place. I think that's my gripe more than anything is we, it's like we've took one step forward and, and three steps back with what we saw last month to this month. I remember when these two first had their pair of, that first match, I think it was in February, and I remember saying, we could just perpetually go on with this match forever, and I still feel like we could, um, but they need to take it somewhere, like, they need to have more than just a, oh, let's, you know, let's just have another 12 minute brawl where we don't really sell anything, where nothing really matters, nothing really happens, we go around the arena. They need to have a bit more than that, particularly as Benoit and Taskmaster had a much better version of uh, of the match than we spoke about. And you have got the thing of the, the more you, the more you no-sell these weapon shots, the harder they are to get over. 
um, which is another issue too. I didn't mind this match. I quite like this style. I quite like both teams. Um, I think there was enough uniqueness about what was going on, you know, them fighting in the sand. There was enough uniqueness, well, not really uniqueness, but enough going on once they got back in the ring and, and watching them try and break tables, where it was like, well, this is more noteworthy than usual, but I would be in agreement that it struggled it struggled a bit. I think if they're going to keep doing this, it's got to go somewhere, would be would be my thing. But to an extent, it's almost like if you're not going to take it anywhere, maybe time to move these two teams on. Anyway. Uh, more copycat segments uh, from main event. Median Oakland does a segment outside the locker room of the Outsiders flanked by security. And next up, it's Disco Inverno versus Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight title. Disco comes out all dressed in orange. Malenko sternly charges out and goes straight after Inferno. Malenko hits a wheel kick for a two. He follows that with a sharp-looking brain buster. Surprisingly, that only gets a two and then a belly to back. He goes for a leg, then an STF. Disco rallies out uh, to waken a flat crowd. He fires him off the ropes and drops him on the top rope. Blanco puts Disco in a crucifix arm lock. Disco stays in the hole for a while before managing to get to his feet to the ropes. Quite nice. Disco blocks a double axe handle, hits a swinging net breaker, but delays going for the pin. Malenko gets his foot on the ropes, and he knows that he then says Disco needs a manager. Hits another net breaker, then gets up to dance or going for the pin, so it costs him. He counts Malenko into a roll up for a two, then hits a lovely left arm that goes for a two or gets a two. Sorry, we get a double backslide attempt. Malenko hits a double underhook power bomb, then locks in a Texas cloverleaf, and Disco submits. Wayne. If you told me beforehand that I would be watching Disco Inferno on a pay-per-view in a 12-minute match, I would be having flashbacks of Diamond Dallas Page versus Booty Man uh, not that long ago. But I was actually pleasantly surprised with, with this match, and I'm and, and very surprised with Disco Inferno, actually. I thought, uh, he, look, he always plays the annoying heel quite well, but I thought he actually showcased uh, a lot more. I mean, look, he's still got a long way to go. He's probably under the bracket of, of where DDP was um, six months ago, sir. So, you know, he's, he's still in, in got a lot of improvements to do. But, you know, I think the uh, the match that he had with, with Malenko has, has put him a little bit higher in uh, in, in, in my rankings for uh, for where I had him um, the last time I'd, I'd, I'd seen the guy. But, um, yeah, he's, he's done really well. Again, Malenko, what can we say about this guy that... You know, we've not said before, you know, we've seen him in, in ECW and, you know, he's impressed there and, and come here and he's, he's probably been outshined by Benoit and, and Guerrero since the three of them coming together. But I think since he's, uh, since he's took the Cruiserweight title, he's carried it really well. He's carried his matches really well. And, and again, very, very impressed with him. Rory. I thought this was great. The thing I really, really liked about this match, this is going to sound a bit strange, is the fact that for the first five minutes, I don't remember Disco hitting a single offensive move. It was just Malenko, Malenko, Malenko with that amazing moveset of his. Then Disco manages to hit back because for whatever reason Malenko wasn't able to put him away. And then it's as if in the, in the context of the match um, that uh, Inferno himself started to believe that he could actually do something. And he had two particularly uh, well flurries of, of, of offence that really made him look good. And in the end he just... He was just beaten by the superior wrestler. Sometimes that's all you—that's all you really need. And a crowd who, as you say, Bob, by and large, certainly the first portion of the match, uh, they were quite—they were probably expecting an effective squash, especially the way it was booked in the first five minutes. 
but everyone was surprised. I was surprised when Disco was allowed to make such a comeback. And uh, he really did make the most of it, even in defeat. Um, so I hope, you know, we say this a lot when we talk about this kind of thing, I hope that uh, the people in the back will bear in mind the reaction Inferno got, the action he was able to put forward when he was on offence, and that he is allowed to take this somewhere. Uh, because on the basis of this performance, I think he deserves it. And I say that as somebody who, needless to say, is not the biggest fan of his character. <laughs> yeah, this was really good. Um, what a pleasant surprise. I mean, you know, it, it, it looks on paper for all the world like this was going to be a, a quite competent but really uninteresting match. And the first five minutes suggested it was going to be exactly that. Um, but every now and then, WCW just seemed to put together a match that that tells a story that completely belies how often so linear and boring some of their most of their other matches are. I remember back to the match last year between um, Alex Wright and Arn Anderson. That match, I think it would have been Slambury May last year. Sounds about right. Yes, yes. Um, and where like that match went about. 15 or so minutes and the match was dominated by you know, Arn Anderson kind of effectively being out wrestled by a guy you know 15 years his junior and, and you couple that with most of their other matches which are usually just fairly insignificant and it's like you can do this more often you know and this kind of felt a little bit like that too in that they told a very easy story it was really good to get into and what a what a big surprise. I mean, you know, what a, you know, disco can work and you kind of felt yourself rooting for him a bit towards the end, which is good. And dare I say it, Malenko will have far better matches this year. I don't know how many matches Malenko's going to have this year that will be remembered more than this one. Mm. Um, and that'll be interesting to see. And probably the second best match of the night. Probably. Yep. Yep. Um, is backstage in Meiji in Oakland. She's wearing a towel. There we go. Uh, we move on. It's Joe Gomez versus Steve Mongo McMichael with Deborah. Mongo goes out hard with a chop and a three-point stance clotheslines in the corner. Gomez ducks an elbow and hits a crossbody for a two. Mongo locks in an unconvincing camel clutch and Gomez escapes. He goes for a sleeper. Gomez gets out of it with a jawbreaker. Mongo hits a reverse neckbreaker. He then says he's going to do it for horseman style for going for a figure four leg lock and nearly getting beaten by roll-up. But Michael hits a tombstone pile driver, and that will do that. Mongo will have to learn where the hard camera is. He did that basically facing the wrong way. Uh, and that will end that. Roy, what do you think? I thought it was absolutely terrible, quite frankly. Um, but at the same time, I actually felt very sorry for both of these guys. This match should never have happened. If you want to try and get Michael over, and Michael is not a wrestler yet, he's not even close to being a wrestler, just... Maybe just have him with some kind of horseman hired muscle or one, two minute, very brief matches where he can at least or, chop. Or, or put him in tags, which tags. Was, was always what I thought the point was going to be. Well, with tags, let's, let's face it, that's where he made his debut last month. And you can hide his very, very obvious deficiencies and come and hit the couple of power moves he knows. And you can, might be able to help him get over that way. But throwing him out there against somebody like Gomez, who is also just absolute green as a gourd, who's got Two, two things going for him. He can punch and he can toss his hair. I don't think he can do anything else. Yeah, he's got good hair. <laughs> that might explain why he's on the pay per view. Um, which, and, and I, I would say, I really did, I did feel for them. So despite this match being an absolute goose egg dud, it was never going to be anything else. Um, and it was a, a complete waste and it was horrible through little fault of their own. But it was a, a terrible, terrible match. <laughs> 
Wayne? Same from me. Um, you know, didn't didn't belong on um, on here at all. Um, two green guys in a pay per view match is 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 not what I want to be paying money for. So uh, should have kept it off. Um, I think all you ta- all you guys have just hit the nail on the head. You know, one of the th- one of the things I was just thinking about is have him in a tag match. If you want to make him look string strong. Have him pick up the win, but don't have him carrying a match with uh, with a guy that's as green as uh, as what he is. And uh, you know, I really thought Renegade was probably going to be the greenest guy I would ever see on a pay per view match. But these two have, uh, have 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 made him rank number three. Um, you know, it was it just it was everything was just so sloppy from the chops to the god awful drop kicks that Joe Gomez was Ooh. doing to to that sunset flip was um was uh, was was horrible. Didn't belong on pay per view. I don't want to see these two guys in a, in a single match together. Um, and let's just move on. Yeah, um, God, a Gomez Mongo Renegade Triple Threat. Christ. Um, <laughs> oh, Bob, what are you doing to me? <laughs> the th- oh, threat, threat is putting it mildly. Oh, I kind of want to see that now. Um, be careful what you wish for, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, to, to, to echo what you all said, this match shouldn't have happened. Um, it just goes against basic wrestling. If you've got a guy that's incredibly greedy and you want to get him over, you put him with a, one of the most experienced guys you've got, don't you? Yeah. Like, you know, you don't, you don't put him with a guy who's even less experienced and even less over than he is. That makes no sense at all. Um, this match really was awful. Um, it, it's only going to be saved from match of the year by the, you know, the, the couple of, those couple of great matches in March and April we've got with the EDP and Booty Man and Warrior and Gold Dust. That, 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 that'll protect it, but yeah, this was bad. This was really, really bad. Another promo that we saw earlier, Flair wouldn't Elizabeth backstage with Oakland. Flair says when Benoit and Anderson get the job done tonight, he's going to win the world title tomorrow. Stipulation being that if either man can pin Giant tonight, then a member of the Horseman will face Giant for the world title tomorrow night. Things get a bit weird between Gene and Woman. Flair jumps in to save the segment. He tells Sarah, regardless of what's happening in the main event, never stop praying that Elizabeth is coming home because she won't. Conan versus Ric Flair is next up. It's Flair with Woman and Miss Elizabeth for the WCW United States Heavyweight title. Flair shakes Conan's hand. No shenanigans there. We get a leapfrog spot into a low drop kick from Conan. Flair goads him. Conan slaps him. Woman howls. Conan leads in and gives Flair a big woo right in his face. Conan locks in a surfboard, then hits a back body drop and dumps Flair to the outside. The women tend to Flair. Conan goes for a flip dive and takes Elizabeth and Flair down. Liz gets straight back up. Conan goes to the top woman somehow supposedly yanks Conan off the top by shaking the bottom rope not sure that's how it works uh, Flair distracts the ref woman climbs in the ring and thumbs Conan in the bollocks the crowd pop for that back on the top Flair hits a stalling suplex Flair is on top but awakens Conan with a chop Conan hits a ten punch and Flair does his Flair flop Flair begs off goes for a sunset flip and then gets um goes for sunset flip, Conan does but Flair punches him, he then goes for a figure four Conan rolls him up for a two Conan locks in the figure four himself Flair struggles, then nearly gets pinned Flair grabs hold of the rope so the ref kicks him off of them, he then grabs hold of the rope again and this time the ref decides that that means it's time to break the holes, that bit didn't really make sense uh, Flair goes to the top, Conan throws him off and hits a bulldog Conan goes for an abdominal stretch, rolls it into a pin but Elizabeth distracts the ref woman gets on the other side of the ring with a shoe I think we know where this one's going 
The whole distraction takes absolutely ages. Wu hits Conan with a shoe. Flair puts his feet on the ropes. Pins Conan and wins the US title. Um, Rory, my main overriding thought when watching this match was this was Flair's greatest hits. And then we got to the end and it was every Flair finish in the last six months. Yep, I totally agree. It's been said many, many times in the past about the Ric Flair broomstick match, that he could have a match with a broomstick and get three stars out of it. Today, Ric Flair was the broomstick. He was going to go out there and have a bog-standard Ric Flair match. Context be damned. And uh, Conan had no idea how to work around it. Uh, Some of the spots were very awkward. They messed a few things up that they really shouldn't have done. Flair didn't seem to be particularly cooperative. I mean, they even messed up the slam slam Ric Flair off the top right spot. Conan was too slow to react. I can't believe he actually thought Flair was going to hit a move from up there. And we were sort of meandered around with average at best action until that awful finish, which, as you say, Bob, took an absolute eon to set up. I mean, are we still doing the shoe thing six months after WWF lampooned them for doing so? Like, who, who, is, who is laying out these matches I just cannot believe a finish like that in in every sense of the phrase. And we eventually ended after what felt like a very long 15 minutes. Flair gets a title that he really doesn't need at this point. And what could have been uh, an intriguing match between these two just never got off the ground and it was disappointing. Why? I'm probably going to disagree with uh, with everything Rory said, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought it was actually a solid match, to be fair. Um, maybe that's because I've I've had some real gripe about Conan over the uh, um, over the course of his WCW career so far. Um, you know, I was I was heading into it quite excited because I thought, well, I know Flo's going to get a a decent match out of Conan, and and I thought he did. You know, Conan himself, you know, is probably the most emotion and fire that I've seen from him, and. Again, you know, that's that's obviously mostly due to, to, to Fleur's selling. But, you know, a Fleur match, you've seen one, you've seen them all, and, and I think this was uh, was exactly the same. The other thing I'm probably going to disagree on is the uh, is, is the actual title as well. You know, I was going in uh, expecting Fleur to win, expecting Fleur to pick up the title. I don't think he's he's going to get the uh, the title that the Giants got. So, you know, let's put some focus on on the four horsemen because they're going to need some focus with everything all the attention's going to be on the uh, uh, on on the NWO. So, let's put a title on Fleur. Let's raise the stakes with this title as well. You know, we've not really seen much of it since uh, Sting since Sting lost it um uh, a while back. So, you know, let's put some focus on the four horsemen on the title. The only the only real issue I've got is 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 what uh, what I will actually agree with you on, Rory, and, and that's the finish. You know, <laughs> WWF have, have made a point of, uh, of referencing this finish, and you know, still to, to use it. Um, and it was it wasn't well worked as well. You know, the fact that she was on the ring apron for so long, and and, and Fleur and Conan are still going at it with Elizabeth doing the, um, the distractions. You know, the finish as a, as a whole was um, it, you know took a shine off a little bit. Well, why you disagree with Rory, and I kind of agree with both of you, so I'm not sure how that works. Um, but Never the diplomat. Yeah. Um, I, I, is, is Rory, is Ric Flair on the right to, flare it, to phone it in? To, to a certain degree, yes, he has. But I still get, I'm still disappointed when he does, because I know he doesn't have to, if you understand what I'm saying. Because I just feel like these two are both really fucking good, or they can be. 
that was that's kind of been my overriding thought. Again, I, I had high hopes for this match for that very reason, but in my eyes, Flair just wasn't bothered enough, and that that was the big shame. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it wasn't even like uh, the the line about the whole you know get a three star match out of a broomstick. This wasn't even a three star match. Nope. Um, it you know like I. I kind of feel like both guys are capable of a lot more, and then you know, I, to an extent, mate. You know, it, it is always the thing. You go in knowing a match is going to end it with a shit finish. You're probably less inclined to, mm. to care about the match leading up the, the, the match leading up to that point. Um, it just didn't work. Um, I mean, we, we we spoke about before about putting Conan with guys that can uh, are more over than him and that can make him look better than he is, or can help him make him look better. Um, this proves that at least to one extent or another we weren't quite on the ball with that that um, synopsis. Um, and I don't know that Ric Flair winning the United States title was even needed either. I know, as I say, I know we've spoken about Conan needing better opponents. I don't know that Ric Flair was on that list. I don't know that Ric Flair is a guy that needs to be in that, particularly while Conan's losing. If Flair's going to put him over, fair enough. Um, but this wasn't the occasion that he was going to do that, nor was the occasion he should have done that. Um just didn't work. Poor match. Um, it never really got out of second gear. Um, and as I say, we, you know, Flair's been phoning it in for a while. I mean, maybe a main event against, you know, Hulk Hogan next month might, you know, give, give you know, Flair effectively working a babyface next month. One would expect um, that might give Flair something different to work with. But right now, it's just, you know, even the stuff with Savage isn't great. But like this is just. I don't think anyone wins from this, but anyway. In fact, Wayne, anything, any thoughts on what I said there? No, no, I think you said it perfectly well. Roy? Um, Flair as a baby face, I'm almost ready to see that now, actually. I think that could be what he needs. So if, if he is now effectively a de facto baby face, then um, let's go with that for a while, because I don't think I can stand another X amount of years of just the Flair's greatest hits. No, and I, you know, Flair's been around so long. People want to cheer, and based on what I think that where I think they're going, I think Flair might be a babyface anyway. Um, you've just turned Hulk Hogan heel, and his well, his second first major opponent is going to be you know Giant and Ric Flair, whatever order those shows come in. Um, I think it's the pay per view first, um, and then. You know, after that, like the Savage thing seems to be cooling down. They're moving woman away from from, from that whole thing too. Um, you know, and maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see the whole thing with the New World Order when we get there, but it might be a case of that faction's going to be such a huge part that anyone that opposes them will be de facto babyfaces anyway. Um, but yeah, the time is right for a fair babyface run. I think providing it means we're going to see a different style of match, I'm all in favour. Um, we move on. Oakland says he's been eavesdropping outside the locker room. He says, and I quote, it sounds familiar, but I can't really identify it. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Jim. <laughs> it sounds familiar, but I can't identify it. I love it, I love it. So it's a, just a human voice then, Gene. That's all you're going to give us. <laughs> and then, uh, my, the, and then the next he says, it's somebody that we've seen, somebody that we've heard. Well, clearly not enough, because you can't work out who it is. Um, oh, bless him. 
<laughs> Who would we have not seen but heard? Anyway, whatever. Heenan, because uh, they're, they're doing uh, communication between Oakland and the people on commentary, Heenan then tells Oakland to bribe the officers to get to the vote. Yeah, I wouldn't bother doing that. Oh, we move on next. It's Chris Benoit and Arn Anderson versus the Giant and the Taskmaster. Uh, as I said earlier, if either member uh, of the Horseman can pin Giant, uh, that one of their Horsemen will be able to face Giant for the title tomorrow on Nitro. Giant and Taskmaster attack during the walkout of Benoit and Arn, but Michael goes Giant is chasing into the back, and the match starts two on one. Giant returns pretty quick soon after, and the Horsemen attack Taskmaster. Solomon bangs their heads together but cannot get giant uh, get to giant in the corner. Taskmaster shoves Benoit off the top. Giant catches him and throws him into Arn Anderson. Anderson goes to pivot off of Taskmaster, who gets his knees up and catches them in the nether regions. Benoit goes to the top. Taskmaster goes to catapult Arn, who stops halfway through and then has to kind of throw himself at Benoit. Taskmaster gets the hot tag to Giant, which gets a huge pop. Taskmaster leads Benoit up towards the country position. We get a split screen. Uh, they're playing around in the sand. Uh, Giant chokes Sam's Arn and pins him for the three. After the match, we cut back to Benoit and Taskmaster. Benoit jumps off of the country position and onto Taskmaster, who's lying on the sand. Back in the ring, Benoit hits a belly to belly. Here comes woman. She tries to talk Benoir off attacking her husband. Not mentioning that though. Uh, the crowd come alive as Giant comes back out on Benoit and will make a quick exit. Segment ends with Giant carrying Taskmaster on his shoulders to the back. Rory, thoughts on this? Um, I thought the uh, post-match stuff was probably more interesting than the match, actually. Uh, the match was fine. Uh, it didn't go very long. I think the crowd were pretty much ready for the main event at this point. Um, I certainly was. Uh, no, nobody really messed anything up. Uh, it was solid enough action. It's something watchable before um, uh, the, the big main event kicks in. And Giant got the win with a, with a choke slam. I, I think we all knew that was going to happen. And I think we all knew it was Anderson who was going to take the fall. Uh, but I thought the post-match stuff was really very intriguing. Where are they going with this? Um, you have Benoit attacking Sullivan, because <laughs> any excuse for that, he'll take it. Yeah, you have Woman this time out there basically trying to, to, to drag him off. And then you have the Giant coming back out to, again, a sort of a babyface reaction. You know, that I don't know where they're going with this, but there are lots of possible places. So um, I'm interested. Let's, let's hope they can keep it going. Why? Yeah, I like Rory was uh, was was more infused with the actual post-match rather than uh, than what was going on. Um, Sullivan, I think he's, you know, we, we saw him in a good brawl last month, don't get me wrong, but in-ring-wise, you know, I'm, 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 I'm more offered to leaving him out of uh, matches like this. If it's a tag match, leave him on the side, have the other guy coming in and, you know, have the little spots with Sullivan coming in, but to carry a, carry a match like that, like he, like he did, um, you know, I, I think his time has, uh, has passed on that. Um, one one thing I do want to make reference to though is I have seen some bad moves in my time. I've even seen a really really bad sunset flip tonight. But that slingshot between Sullivan and, and Arn Anderson, you know, I would have I probably wouldn't have even carried on with uh, with with what Anderson did to be fair. You know, he uh, he just threw himself at Benwell, like you said in the uh, in the actual notes. I, I probably would have just tried to turn it into something else rather than uh, than ca- carry out the slingshot move. But uh, yeah, the um, like I said, you know, the giant picked up the win. It was what everyone was going to be expecting. Is is the title holder? You know, we've, we've probably seen things that are going to be progressing storyline wise. And you know, all I'm thinking of coming out of the um, 
uh, well, the first thing I was thinking of, sorry, was maybe it's time for Giant to, you know, make a move onto his own as a, as a big baby face because he was, he was definitely getting, uh, getting pops from the crowd uh, on, on his return. But then at the end, all I'm thinking about now is, are we seeing a Dungeon of Doom face stable? I'm not sure because Sullivan was, was garnering a lot of sympathy there. He's the leader of, uh, of, of this faction and that's all I'm thinking about now. It, yeah, this this whole thing was a bit weird. It was kind of like you know the 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 heel horseman against the heel dungeon of doom, um, and and yeah, the, the 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 combination didn't really make sense. And you're right to call out that catapult spot, which was horrendous. Um, it was probably level with the uh, the leapfrog spot that the, the smoking guns tried on the uh, on the opener of international incident uh, but we'll come to that on volume two uh, in terms of the balls that spot um, but yeah like I mean my I, I, I agree well I don't really agree but just kind of the sentiment of it feels like things are changing which isn't necessarily a bad thing Dungeon of Doom if they are going to stick around probably need to do something else um, everyone needs to do something else and to an extent with the with the NWR around that we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes um, Rory my biggest takeaway from all this I cannot wait for Giant to be this just mega baby face because it's coming it's definitely coming and uh, the crowd Again, weren't mega super into the match when the when the giant got a hot tag, they went absolutely freaking nuts for him, uh, which surprised even me. But they want to cheer him and they cheered him big. So if again, as it looks as though he will at least for the almost by default be a babyface at least for a while, let, let's give it a while. Let's let, let's give it a try. I think it really could work at least in the short term because people seem to love him. <laughs> Yeah, you get a big guy and you just have him win. Yep. Don't be surprised if he gets over, you know, not not in a certain hit. Don't be surprised if people just want to cheer him. Like, you know, that's you know, that that shouldn't be a, a massive surprise and and we're talking about the NWO needing some foes. He's right at the top of that list and, and you know, to an extent everyone else is not in that group is as well. Um but that is probably the, the biggest one of the biggest ticks of everything that happened this month was that they made a big pivot making Hulk Hogan a heel. God, that sounds weird saying it. Um, but they've also managed to open up the door for Giant being a babyface, which is almost just as good news in the sense that you move Hogan across, you create a little bit of a vacuum on the other side. The Giant just goes in and fills that spot. You know, happy days. Uh, we get a musical montage previewing the main event with fake newspaper headlines spliced in. Michael Buffett is on hand for the introduction. The crowd are hyped. He calls the outsiders, quote, interlopers. And we move on to the main event. It's the outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, although not currently by name, and a mystery third partner versus Randy Savage, Lex Luger and Sting. Sting's music briefly plays Oakland is on the R way He confronts the pair Sting's music I think was just a queuing error um, I, 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 I did wonder whether they just Fucked up something majorly there But I think they just got music in the wrong order uh, Oakland confronts Hall and Nash Hall says uh, Oakland knows too much already All you need to know is that he's here And he's ready Nash says he's here but they've got enough to handle Everything right now so we start off and it looks like we're going to start three on two. There's a standoff. Hall shoves Luger in a confrontation that would have meant nothing a year ago on WWF television. Uh, we're going to start off with those two and that whips the crowd up. 
Hall flicks his toothpick at Luger. Luger slaps him hard. Luger takes him down with a forearm that then levels Nash. Luger celebrates for far too long and Hall takes him down. Nash goes for Luger in the corner. Sting hits a massive Sting of Splash and Luger gets knocked out cold on the outside. The match starts as they tend to Luger who appears to be knocked out and here comes the stretcher of medics. Luger gets tied up. Hall and Nash go after him but he gets taken to the back. It's two on two. Shivoni then I think for the first time formally names them Nash and Hall. Hall slaps Sting. Sting just unloads, which whips up the crowd. Nash drops Savage off the top turnbuckle. Savage ducks a clothesline from Hall, then takes him down. The crowd are hot for this as Nash tags back in. Nash hits a body slam, then drops an elbow on Savage. Sting tags in but walks right into danger. They're te- teasing that Savage is hurt here as well. Shivoni says that it was a random draw. Luger's down, so why not bring someone else out here? Sting pumps up and goes for a sunset flip, but Nash stands up in it, picks up Sting and throws him across the ring. Sting gets stuck in the outsider's corner, runs into a Nash big boot. Sting rallies and drop kick to Nash's knee, or Shivoni calls him calls it his gut. <laughs> Hall level surge on the apron. Sting manages to catch him in the cradle, but the ref is distracted and Hall easily kicks out. Hall locked in an abdominal stretch and uses Nash for a bit of leverage. Savage is irate. Nash tags back in. They reverse the abdominal stretch spot. String gets free. The Sting, sorry, gets free. Staggers towards Savage, but Hall cuts him off. Savage tries to help Sting on the outside, but Sting is out on his arse right now. Sting gets a boot up on Nash, rallies with a load of punches. He jumps over Nash and gets a tag sorry, to Savage. Savage drops a double axe handle off of the top. Nash low blows in with the ref turning to Hall, Hall and all four men are down. Here comes Hulk Hogan. The crowd pop big for him. Heenan asks, whose side is Hogan on? Hogan rips off his shirt, looks for the fans and then drops a leg on Savage and then again. Nash and Hall jump into the ring. They exchange high fives uh, with Hogan. Hogan drops the leg a third time. Hall counts the pin, and we're calling that the end of the match. Hogan, sh- Hogan shakes hands with both of them. Nash and Hall do their best. Hogan ear cup. We will come to what comes in the post match in a minute. Wayne, what do you think of the action? First of all, oh, I feel like we need to break this down like you always do with Royal Rumbles. There was uh, there was that much uh, there was that much that happened. Um, I I like I like very much that there was a lot of doubt throughout this match uh, and it was all over the place as well. Um, I was going in with with Sting as the obvious choice, but Luger getting stretched off early, um, you know, gave me reason to think that it that it could have been him as well. Um, I, I, I've got to say that I think the match was overshadowed a little bit, uh, a because you know. We're all would talk about was uh, was the third man, um, and I think it just you know st- was stretched out far too long uh, because of it. Maybe it was just the anticipation of of, of who it was uh, who it was going to be. Um, but the other thing that I, I feel was was overshadowed was um, Hall and Nash being in the ring for the first time. Yes, they've had previous WCW uh, careers. They've never been mentioned since they've walked through the door again. So for me, uh, my eyes, this is the first time. This is their debut match, and you know I thought there you know should have been a little bit more to to mention in in that sense. Um, Luger getting stretched off early was probably you know the best thing to happen um, because you know it made it um, two on two, and you got your standard tag formula. But it was probably at this point that I'd probably say that uh, 
um, Sting being the choice was um, was cut out for me because he was the one getting getting the beat down. Will we try, chime in on, uh, on what Royce uh, what Rain said so far? Just just to save a, like a ten minute Sorry? way, which is helped, <laughs> I think. I, I, well, I, I told you we should have had the breakdown. I uh, yeah, yeah, you, well, you, that may, been you may have been right. Go <laughs> on, Roy. Okay, <laughs> we will be here a while. Um, first, I'm just going to comment on the on the match briefly. Um, the match was. In a way, it doesn't really matter, but I do need to say this. The match was probably only just about okay. It was one rung above TV main event level, I would say. I thought uh, Nash and Hall in particular, they were both fairly rusty, especially uh, especially Hall. Well, I suppose in fairness to him, this is the first time he's been working heel for three years, so we can kind of let that go. Uh, it was basically after the Luca being stretched out, which I did like, Although I, I never really thought it was going to be Luke. I always thought that was a bit of a red herring, but that's good storytelling in a way. Uh, the match was really 10, 15 minutes of Sting taking heat. Now, Sting takes heat better than pretty much anybody else in North America. So you never get tired of seeing that, but that's pretty much all we got. But, but, but I, yeah, go on. I, I seen Sting in the babyface in peril spot a lot more compellingly than this. This is what I was coming to. Um, because I didn't really buy the hot tag to Savage and the crowd didn't either because whatever they did in the ring at this point it was of little consequence because all anybody cared about was who the third man was going to be it's as if the whole 18 minutes of the match were just leading up to the uh, the double down or the quadruple down where everybody was lying in the ring until whoever the third man was going to be was going to come out so as bizarre as sounds, the match itself Almost in a way, almost didn't need to be there if that makes any sense. And then, of course, um, uh, we all turn to to the aisle, and there's uh, there's the big fella. Wayne, uh, fill in on the rest of the match that you were going to get to. Yeah, I mean, I'll just sharing um, sharing the thoughts. Those, you know, Sting getting the getting the beat down, and and, and Savage with the hot tag um, was again, like I said before, it was uh, it was probably overshadowed with uh, with everyone just sitting on the edge of the seat waiting for the for the third man. Um, and yeah, it was it was an okay match. Like like Rory says, it was probably just above par of uh, of just being a standard TV main event. But I think uh, you know there's there's a, there's a lot more that we're going to be talking about. But I just want to give you a, a scenario. We did cover off Sting um, last week. Oh, sorry, last month, Bob. Um, is he going to be the third man, etc. And all I'm all I'm thinking about is yeah, with what comes is a big shock. But if we had. Um, Savage in the in the babyface uh, beatdown um, uh, spot and Sting garnering that hot tag uh, fire comeback in in the corner with with the crowd and then we had a Halloween Havoc '95 moment. I think we'd be looking at a much bigger shock. Uh, we, we we'd be looking at. I think we might have the same babyface reaction when uh, when Flair did it. If we if we try to pull that <laughs> up again, um, yeah. I... It's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things, and, and there's a lot of reasons for it, and, and a fair number of them will be on the control of the four guys in the ring. But the match wasn't particularly good. And again, like yeah, and I think that was kind of the big thing was that the outcome of the match didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was who the third guy was going to be. Like the match was already sealed. Well, not when Hogan walked out when he. When he actually dropped the leg, like the there was nothing riding on the match. It was the thing riding on it was was who comes in, um, and so it kind of told. And particularly once once Luger got knocked out, you kind of more than anything you were like 
you just told the crowd, yeah, something's going to happen. That was the that was the key point. Something was going to happen, and you've got to wait for it. And that probably undercut the match. Um, but Wayne, we get to we'll, we'll, we'll save the post-match promo for a bit when I put it in. But your thoughts on the ending of the match and the Hogan turn itself? How yeah. Executed. Oh well, I thought I thought it was well executed. I, I, probably Bobby Heenan spoiled it a little bit um, with his uh, with, with his line of uh, who, who's he who's he working for? I can't remember what he what he who, said. But who, whose side is he on? Whose side it? is he on? That that's the one. You know, if they would have built Hogan up a little bit more uh, of oh, he's here to save Savage and everything, then you know it, it probably would have gone a little bit better. But just putting that doubt in your mind when Hogan got in there, which thinking back on it you know you can probably see why they was doing that because it could have been it literally could have been anyone and it, and it was anyone but Hogan heel turn I think it's it's a great move for him we're going to cover it off a, a you know a lot more um, and I think it, everything was was well executed and you know I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about the the promo that's coming next as well Roy yeah they got virtually everything right uh, if I could go back in time there's two things I would change one, I would cut Bobby Heenan's mic. <laughs> and two, I would have manoeuvred it slightly differently. I wouldn't have had Hogan drop the leg on Savage. I would have had him drop the leg on Sting. Because Sting, I know we could talk about the Hogan-Savage friendship, and that was referenced on commentary. That's good. But Sting is more of an embodiment of WCW than Savage is. So if they really wanted to tell that particular story, that's how I would have done it. But having said that, I don't have an issue with it being Savage. It is... Super duper world biggest baby face dropping a leg of one of his best friends, aligning himself with a group of bad guys. I thought they got that absolutely perfectly. I thought Hogan himself, just a little pause before he dropped the leg. I mean, sometimes you can see swerve terms coming a mile off. I didn't know he was going to do it until he actually hit the ropes. I thought he played it brilliantly. And just even the moment of doubt after he dropped the leg. Like, oh, was it some sort of an accident or something? Then we see the outsiders moving towards them. Then he high-fives them. And it's, 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 you actually see Hulk Hogan's character change just like that. It's click of your fingers. You know, 12 years of super babyface Hogan disappears before your very eyes. I never thought this day would come, to be perfectly honest. Uh, when it did, they got it pretty much as bang on as you're going to get. So fair play to everybody involved. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think a lot of credit for, for wheeling Luger off because obviously Hogan can't come out while it's three on two because everyone will, will know the game's up. Um, so they engineered that perfectly. Um, yeah, I don't know what was going through Bobby Heenan's mind. I mean, I, I, I know Heenan's role is to talk bollocks. I know that's the idea, but yeah. That, I would, I would, just, 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 just jump in quickly, it's... It's almost as if he wasn't in the moment, because when Hogan appeared, he actually called him, and I quote, Hulkamania. <laughs> he actually said Hulkamania when he came out. I thought, that's not his name. His name's Hulk Hogan. So I just don't know if Heenan was getting too caught up in the moment or what, but it, 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 it did cut it out a bit. Although Shivani, quick as a flash, coming in with, what are you talking about, probably just about saved it. Yeah, just about. Um just. <laughs> Uh, I, the the other thing I think I'd say about Savage to to lead on from your point, Rory, was that Savage and Hogan have been foes before, not on WCW, but they've been foes before. I guess this would have made a bit more sense uh, if it had been Sting. And, and you're right in terms of it would have been Hogan more formally turning on on WCW. But I think the angle was 
by and large, was a home run. Uh, yeah. There were issues, and you know, whatever. Um, but let's let's move on. Paul Kogan, excuse me, excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. I have been with you for so many years. For you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group? You've got to be kidding me. Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north and everybody was wondering who the third man was well who knows more about that organization than me brother I've been there I've done that you have made the wrong decision in my opinion well let me tell you something I made that organization a monster I made people rich up there I made the people that ran that organization rich up there brother And when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then, billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling, brother. And not only are we going to take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man, Hall, and this man, Nat. As far as I'm concerned... All this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat 
from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny Come Latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the new world organization of wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the new world organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna do? Don't touch me, I'm gonna flee the lawyers. Cody, Bobby, Dusty, damn it, let's get back to you. Alright, we have seen the end of Hulkamania. Shivani speculates that this was premeditated sorry, in 1994. Sting helps Savage to the back. The fans start pelting the ring with garbage. Now, the fan actually tries to get in the ring. Diesel punches him to the ground and Hall decides to throw some work kicks. Well, they, they were real kicks, but he was doing, he was doing the work thing where he kicked the ring with his other leg. Ever the pro. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, trying to make it look real or fake, I suppose, either way. Uh, the ring continues to get pelted with bur- rubbish. If only we had a bin from earlier. I've got in my notes. And here's Mean Gene Oakland. Hogan tells Oakland that he needs to tell the fans to shut up if he wants to hear what he has to say. The first thing you've got to realise, brother, is that this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the New World Order of Wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from the great big organisation up north and everyone was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organisation than me, brother? I made that organisation a monster. I made people rich up there. And when it came to pass, Hulk Hulk Hogan got bigger than the whole organisation brother. God, he says brother a lot, then he it out. <laughs> Someone actually lobs a drink at Hogan. Hogan says, I'm bored. That's why these two guys, these two, they, these are the men I want as my friends. They've got new blood of professional wrestling. We will destroy everything in our path, me and Gene. Hogan tells the fans to stick it. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. What you going to do when the new world organisation of wrestling won wild on you? The ring is covered in rubbish. Giovanni tells Hogan he can go straight to hell as the show goes off the air. Rory. Oh my goodness. This was the biggest promo. He's cut a few. This was the biggest promo of Hulk Hogan's life. He had absolutely no choice but to get this one right. If he screwed this promo up, then this entire heel turn, possibly even to some extent, even his career would have been dead in the water. But my God, did he ever get this one right. It was stunning. And it's like we say so often about heel turns. The things he was saying, I was agreeing with him. The name Hulk Hogan is bigger than professional wrestling, right? You've done lots of work for the charities and you've got booze, right? You made a lot of people a lot of money in an organisation up north, right? You have ju- you've, you've just given me in this promo real justifications for for turning heel. I thought, yes, he's done it. They got it absolutely smack on. The crowd was a, a combination of hatred and being completely stunned. I mean, when do you see a situation where people are actually throwing rubbish into the ring because they're so outraged? I mean, that's the sort of thing you'd see back in the, the early 80s territory days. I didn't think fans did that these days. But they were just so shocked, so incensed. And you've got to give so much credit to that for Hogan because he got this promo absolutely 100% bang on the money. And in a year where we've already had some fantastic promo work, we've had probably what might be the best 
from somebody, if you said, said this to me, maybe even two months ago, I would not have expected it to come from. So, fantastic work from the boy Hogan here. Wayne? 10 out of 10 in my eyes. Um, I think he set the tone really well with his first line. Um, it's an absolute classic. It'll be something that I'll, I'll remember moving forward. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was a great line for, um, you know, for heel heat. Um, you know, it, this itself is, is an iconic and, uh, you know, I've used it before in the, uh, um, in the, in the opener, but it's, it's iconic. It's historic. Everything about what has happened and this promo to follow will uh, uh, will be forever remembered. Um, I'm going to stick my neck on the line. Um, I think he was a lot more comfortable in the promo that he delivered on July the 15th. But this is the first heel promo that he's done in... Well, I, I never watched any of his heel work when he first started out. I don't know whether he was doing any promos then. But 82, Rory, is that right? Uh, 82, yep. I think oh, off the top of my head... Uh... It was a uh, Terry Golden at that point. I think we're probably going back to his first Hulk Hogan run, eighty-two, eighty-three. I want to say, yeah. Right. Well, I've I've not seen any of that work, and you know, so you could probably you could you know probably excuse um, him feeling a little bit comfortable in in, in this heel role and his very first heel promo. But um, I, I, everything he was saying, like Rory says. Everything he was saying was was right. Um, you know, all all the work that he's done up, up north and, and um, all the charity work and everything that he's done is, uh, is is has been spot on. And then to then put the heel twist on it about how Billy and Ertz had promised this, this, and this, you know, you could probably say, right, okay, well now I can see your your point of view of why you've done it. Um, promo work, hats off. I think the character shift is, you know, we we, we touched on it back in. October, November last year when, when he was dressed in all black then. Um, but now that he's done the full shift, um, is, uh, is, is definitely something that we've been caught crying out for, for for some time. And, uh, this isn't, this is something that's not going to be forgotten about easily. No, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're both right. It was, it's just a shoot, wasn't it really? I mean, you know, no, <laughs> that, 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 that's probably the easiest way to explain it. Ogan came out and said, you know, I made people a lot of money up north, you did. Um, yeah, I'm the reason a lot of you are here, he is. Uh, and if it wasn't for me, people like Eric Bischoff would be, you know, still selling ice cream out of the back of a, a truck in Minneapolis or whatever he said, something like that. Um, yeah, you know, it, it was the pro, it was the pro of his life, really. I mean, I, I know he's, he's been a mega baby face before, um, but that, you know, there was never one moment where I, I, I don't think where he exploded as a baby face where it was like, shit, get this right or get this wrong, your career hangs on this. And as we're going to discuss later, and, and, and you two both alluded to it, like, this was a really important pro because if Hogan fucks this up, if this storyline fucks up, I don't know where Hogan goes as a character. I don't know whether he gets a new contract from WCW in six months' time. This was a huge promo for the next few years of Hulk Hogan's career. And he, he hit it out of the park. Um, and not to say that everyone in the building was was kind of high on it, um, but, you know, because some people would, would, were cheering the hell out of it. Um, but to get an arena pelted, a ring pelted with rubbish, it's a great sign for the angle. Um, really well executed, um, you know, with the odd exception, a home run of the last half hour of the show. Uh, and you can't say better than that. Uh, Way, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, well, fantastic opener. One or two possible solid uh, matches throughout. The pay-per-view without the ending, I, I wouldn't have been giving it um, a really, really um, positive marks. But 
the ending that we did get and a debut of Hall and Nash in, in the ring, I can't make it any less than a... I'm not going to give it an 8, so I'll give it a 7.9. 7.9? Come on. I'll give it an 8, then. I was going to say, we do award half marks, but I'm not sure we, uh, we go any lower than that. Uh, Rory? I'm thinking about 8.042678. No, right. no, we're going to go with a, I'm going with a smack on 8 on this one. Again, if it wasn't for the last half hour, you're looking at a acceptable WCW pay-per-view, especially given the drain factor. We've had some horrendous WCW pay-per-views in the last 18 months, give or take. And this would definitely have been one of the better ones, almost by default, although not quite up to great American bash standards. Uh, but but we, we got what we got, did we ever. Again, fantastic opening match that you absolutely have to see. Uh, some really interesting stuff midway. Not I say not everything worked, but uh, a lot to talk about. Um, some absolute dots, make no mistake. Uh, a couple of matches that did disappoint, but you've got probably the most important in-ring development since we started doing these podcasts three years ago, and I could scarcely give it a higher recommendation than that. So I'm going to say, taking everything into account, it's an eight. But it's an absolute must-see eight, and I include the whole event in that. Uh, a rare consensus, eight out of ten Indeed. from me. Um, <sighs> you know, I, as I say, I actually there, there was a lot on this card that I quite like for one reason or another. The, the actual action, bell to bell, wasn't necessarily great, but those matches where there were other interesting things going on, so the, the, the giant tag match was a pretty much a dud, except for the massive pop giant got, which made me remember that match more than usual. Disco Inferno Di Malenko is a really fun match, for reasons you wouldn't have expected. Even Bubba Intenta, as bad as that match should have been, had just about enough going for it. Uh, there's a world-class match in the opener, we shouldn't over look that when discussing this card and the main event stuff was all must see it wasn't even a great match but it was so compelling um and then you get to the end and you just watch was you know perhaps you know there may not be another promo in wrestling that's more important than this one in terms of its significance in terms of you know a guy that was uh, a a top top level number one babyface for what 14 13 14 years yep. and then you know, to turn him heel, there may not be another promo like that ever again, and Hogan pretty much smashed it out of the park, and he had to, and that's what we're going to come to after the break, he had to do that, uh, but yeah, two big thumbs up from me, It's a, I, I actually think it's a good show, Bell the Bell, there's enough going on to make this show worthwhile, with a couple of matches that you can absolutely skip, um, but yeah, it's going to be remembered only for the last match and the last segment, and uh, well, I'm the outrun to an extent, uh, and quite rightly so. Sting, a very somber mood here tonight. I can't believe it. I can feel it. You can feel it. These people continue to make our lives very, very tenuous. They did it again tonight, right in the middle of your match with Arn Anderson. But let's go back to last night. What's your sense of what happened at the Bash at the Beat? I am not at all surprised. What happened last night, I'm not surprised about coming from the two outsiders. But I will say I am very, very surprised at you, Hulk Hogan. But I should have known. I should have known when you were traveling to every town in that big fat limo. I should have known because you didn't want to travel with the Macho Man and Total Package and the Stinger. Uh-uh, you were too busy making big movies. 
and coming in for a little cameo appearance. You were too busy walking on the dark side. I should have known. When you referred to the macho man and the total package and me as three little dogs waiting for a chance to wrestle the great Hulk Hogan. I should have known when I looked into your eyes. But you know something? I made a mistake. But you made a bigger mistake. Because last night, you wiped out and trashed every single little kid. Every single person that was a part of your life that patterned their life after you. You told them to believe in the man upstairs. You told them to say their prayers and to take their vitamins. You told them to believe in themselves. And you know something? It's a good thing you told them to believe in themselves because they sure as heck can't believe in you. By the way... And last but not least, to put the cherry on the top, all those little kids, you told them to stick it. No. You stick it, Hulk. We begin the 8th of July Nitro from the Disney MGM Studios with Tony telling us that we are one day removed from the most, one of the most, quote, shocking and disappointing days in the history of the company. That Disney MGM because the Olympics are on and all the Turner's trucks are in Atlanta. Larry adds the adjective of disgusting. We are promised pictures in the second hour. Tony wants us to tell everyone you know. After stills of Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, uh, and Malenko and Disco Inferno from the pay-per-view, we get an opening match of Rey and Dean for the Cruiserweight title. As you would expect, this match is packed with this outstanding action and is well worth going out of your way to see. After 10 minutes, Malenko pulls Rey up after, at 2 after hitting a top-rope gut-buster and again after a snap suplex. Surprise, surprise, Rey then reverses a victory roll into a Rana for the 1-2-3 and becomes the new Cruiserweight champion. Mean Jin is in the back with the Nasty Boys and the Steiners. They will be locking up later in a number one contenders match. They trade playground level insults and then Gene has to stop them to prevent the brawl. A Glacier advert obviously airs and then gives way to a tag team contest between the Blue Bloods and the team of Big Bubba and Hugh Morris. A nothing TV match is enhanced by Regal's wonderful facial expressions. John Tenter interferes and attacks Big Bubba leaving Morris to be pinned after a double team back suplex. Next up is Eddie Guerrero, who gets a jobber entrance against the Nitro debuting Psychosis. Rey Mysterio cuts a picture-in-picture about how unfair he thinks it is that the third man turned out who he was. He betrayed us, end quote. The match gets a decent amount of time and is extremely good with both men pulling out pay-per-view quality big moves. During it, Tony tells us that we'll be hearing from Hulk Hogan. Only issue being, we're not going to hear from him until next week. Eddie wins the match with a frog splash. Get promo with the Taskmaster, the Giant and Jimmy Hart. All three of them express, express their dismay at Hogan being the third man. Given the heel statuses of these guys, that is particularly interesting. Jimmy Hart suggests that Gene could soon be out of a job. Giant maintains an order by saying that as long as he has the WCW world title, nothing can go wrong. He also remembers they were pop of the Four Horsemen. The aforementioned number one contender match for the tag titles between the Nasties and the Steiners was a heart-hitting contest which crossed over into the second hour of Nitro. We see Kenilroth Parker and Sister Sherry having a bit of a discussion. Parker then uses the cane on Stags and Scott Steiner pins him for the victory. 
Gene in the ring asks the Nasty Boys about their defeat. Sags out something about a nasty attitude and tells us that change is inevitable. Nobbs tells us that even he was shocked by what Hogan did, but he doesn't have a problem with it. The New World Order do what they do, and they do what they want to do. Just like the Nasty Boys used to. Ric Flair suspects successfully defends the US title against Jim Powers with a figure four leg lock. Powers gets a surprising amount of offence in though. The Horsemen without Benoit come out to celebrate with Flair and then Gene grabs an interview. Arn talks about the Horsemen's defeat last night and then tells us what Hogan did make him want to puke. You're supposed to stand for something. Everyone's heart you stepped on is going to bite you and bite you hard. Flair puts over the horseman and tells us that unless they can cure the sick, the outsiders are nothing much to concern themselves ourselves with. We'll see about that. It dances around a bit. He tells us that the likes of Sting, Savage, Luger, the Giant, Flair, etc. are here, so WCW is not going to dry up and blow away. Maybe now it's our time to fight, and we've got the guns to do it. Heenan says, let's fight these jokers and we'll show them who's best. Beforehand was Bischoff. Uh, Chris Benoit then beats the Pitbull, Craig Pittman, with a cross face as Teddy Long throws in the towel for him. During the match, Bischoff tells us that a lot of Hogan merchandise will now be available in local garage sales. As our main event between Sting and Arlandson begins, Bischoff tells us that he heard we may have some visitors tonight. These two are putting on an extremely worthwhile TV main event as we are informed that a black limousine pulls up. We eventually get to see said limousine and here come the outsiders. The fans and commentators completely lose interest in the match. Security surrounds the ring to prevent the outsiders getting in. Sarage then appears to get into the ring. Out of nowhere, Sting hooks in the Scorpion Deathlock and wins the match. Sting then stares down the outsiders from the turnbuckle. Gene grabs him for an interview and Hall and Nash are led away. He tells Sting that they are making our lives very tenuous, whatever that means. Sting lets us know that he's not surprised by the outsiders, but he is by Hogan. But he should have known, because Hogan was too busy to travel with them and was blinded by the bright lights. Sting gets very angry about Hogan going back on telling the kids to believe in themselves. All those little kids, you told them to stick it. You stick it, Hulk. You stick it. Gene then turns to Savage. He has a message for Hollywood Hogan. What I want to do with you, I can't say on television, especially here at Disney. It will be the worst thing that you can think, multiply by 9 million and then by infinity. Very somber Gene then closes the interview. Gene then manages to get some words from the outsiders. Hall and Nash look very pleased with themselves. Nash tells us that WCW and the fans took a beating because the Hulkster told them exactly as it was and that the third man, member of the New Order, will be here next week. Hall gives a cheery high Hulk to the camera. Gene wonders what control they have and Hall suggests that he should come and work for the New World Order. We are told that the outsiders have crashed the party and are coming in the door. We end with stills of all nine, all the main action from the Bash at the Beach main event. Bischoff says, the things that Hogan said, I never would have imagined it. Drove from Disney, MGM in Orlando, Florida. I came over here this afternoon with, what was it, Kissimmee Cab Company? Of course, these two gentlemen, you know who they are. We certainly found out who they are, or were, last night. They come in limo with the driver here. Gentlemen, we have things to talk about. What transpired last night at the Bash of the Beach, first knocking Lex Luger out of action. It happened, actually, at the hands of one of his own men, Sting. Sting and the Macho Man then continuing on. The surprise of the night we'll see a little bit later, just moments from now, right here 
on TNT. But you, sir, you and your partner come to this great organization, and all of a sudden, things start to crumble. But I don't think that trend is going to continue for long, my friend. You know, Gene, I could uh, have to uh, beg to differ with you on that one. You know, I thought tonight after we proved ourselves, you know, WCW last night took a beating. You know, the fans took a beating because the Hulkster told them exactly how it was. You know, Hulk built professional wrestling. These people can't even appreciate that. He and I can. Next week, the third member of the New Order will be here. Hulk Hogan will be at Nitro. And we'll see what these people have to do. We'll see what the, the WCW, what the big boys are going to put up against us. Because last night, I don't know about you, big boy, but uh, I felt like Mike, uh, Mark Furman at the... Uh, the, the, the OJ Apollo. trial? No, at the Apollo. Oh. I mean, geez, come on. The people were rough on us. They had reason to be rough on you. And I'll tell you, one man, if he's not here, has got to be watching this television program. Hulk Hogan. Hi, Hulk. So many people so disappointed in your actions. I don't know if you coerced them into this or if he did this of his own volition, but nonetheless, it's been done. I just want to start by saying, Chico, that this portion of WCW Monday Nitro Brought to you by The Outsiders and Hulk Hogan. I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Hey, we said we'd do it. We advertised it, then we delivered. We said we'd kick their butts, and we did it. And we're still The Outsiders. We got to crash the party. You should be begging us to come in the door. You know, somebody made a comment to me this evening that, that I might not be working any longer. I'd like to know just what kind of control you guys have here. Gene, you know, scheme Gene, as far as I'm concerned, Chico, you got a job with the New World Order. Gentlemen, I will continue to work for Turner Broadcasting. What's the word with Hogan? Where is he tonight? Well, uh, I believe the Hulkster's back on the set uh, doing a movie tonight. Yeah, you know something? What? I heard that punk... Randy Savage talking about Hollywood Hulk. A little bit jealous there, Mach. Just a little jealous. And and for Luger, he didn't get hurt. He fainted when he saw us. Okay, you might be wondering why that TV report was so short. Don't worry, the rest will come throughout the rest of the show. I just decided that, given that there is a, about eight hours of Nitro to get through. Putting them all at once might leave us with just with a giant 20-minute chunk of TV review, which didn't seem like a great idea. Uh, you can also thank Rory for uh, putting together those TV reviews this month. I didn't really have time. Um, uh, uh, well, and blame him as well, I suppose. I on how well you think they did. Um, I there we go. Um, so what we're going to do, uh, basically, obviously there's a lot of discussion and chat and I think a lot of questions that people want to kind of hear out, us discuss about the Hogan turn NWO, less about what actually happened and more about the implication of what happened. Uh, and there's also a lot of quite interesting television for the rest of the month. So it's going to kind of be a bit of all sorts. We'll do a bit of Hogan chat, a bit of TV stuff related to the week that we've just covered. Um, I, well, for instance, the Sting promo that you've just heard. Um, and then also, you know, other things as well that come to mind. Um, but we start, I guess, um, with the big question up front, Wayne, which is Hulk Hogan is now a heel. What are your thoughts? Um, I think it was something that needed to happen. It was, it was, it was quite a surprise. Um, some of the names banded about. Um, Hogan was one of them, but we didn't really go into depth with him. Um, I think it's something that is, is, is needed to happen for, for some time, especially 
coming into 12 months into his WCW career um, with uh, with various characters was being portrayed by the uh, by the fans. So um, I'm I'm all for it. In all honesty, and I'm really really anticipating to see what we're going to see. And I'm very excited. Roy, this absolutely had to happen. I don't think they could have waited any longer to do it. To be perfectly honest, especially as it's actually been off TV for a while anyway. So there was a natural break. Uh, my first pod last year, I was lucky enough to be on there during all the Dark Side Hogan stuff when he was there wearing these weird masks and waggling swords around and threatening to, I don't know, behead Meng or whatever it was, uh, which was kind of a... I said at the time, maybe that was testing the water for some kind of heel turn. I'm mercifully pleased to say that they haven't gone that particular route this time. It looks like they've just tried to make him into some uber-cool better than you, look what I've done in my career, badass. And I think that's how it has to be. He cannot be a a cartoony heel. He cannot be a schlocky horror-y heel. He needs to be a you're you, but look at me kind of heel. That's how they look like they've played it already, especially with the promo we got on the 15th of July. I, I get, but I, I do agree with uh, I do agree with Wayne. Although they absolutely had to do it, I still didn't think they were going to. Um, whether Hogan actually needed a lot of persuading to do this, I don't know. But uh, I think, let's hope it stays well, I think the right decision has been made by everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of discussed it last month, and I think the view that Sting was a great idea was almost on the basis that it, it was the one that seemed a lot more likely. Um, but Hogan's... Hogan's character's been on the way now for, for quite a while. Like, I think in terms of, um, you know, they've, they've struggled to find opponents for him, which has been a massive issue, and I don't think one people have really discussed enough, is that one of the big problems with Hogan is that they just haven't found com- a compelling opponent for him mm. since, since Vader buggered off. Um, and the pay-per-view Barrett's kind of match that up um, but it was it's been this run of TV in the last kind of six weeks or so ever since Scott Hall rocked up Hogan left TV in April thinking well Christ uh, May's going to come around they're going to get shifted around for the NBA playoffs the ratings will come down ratings will stay down and then when August comes back around the Olympics is finished I can come back in as this white knight and you know save the ratings and prove my worth to WCW four or five months before we try and negotiate me a new contract um, and then Hall and Nash happened, and ratings just started to get really good. And I think that if you were Eric Bischoff and you were in, you know, WCW Towers, you kind of would have gone, maybe there's a life, maybe there's a life after Hogan. Um, maybe we can see an existence without this. And you know, for for all accounts, the reason they had Sting as the backup was on the basis that they thought he was the least obvious choice. But I almost wonder whether they had Sting as a backup also because it's like, well, if Hogan and if Hall and Nash can carry this, then you know Sting will be a perfectly fine third guy. Um, you know, I think what, what's interesting in the vernacular of this discussion is that we talk about Hogan as the third man. Hogan is the first man. Let's be clear about yeah. that. Hogan is the main guy about this, and it's already fascinating to read. Stuff about how they've changed some stuff about TV in the last in the the, the the couple of weeks that followed the show, on the basis that they were already concerned that Hogan was getting over at the expense of the other two. Um, and it helps that Hogan's been away, so he hasn't been on all TVs anyway. Um, but that's been an interesting dynamic too. But yeah, I, I, Roy, I think we we kind of face the the very real scenario that Hogan kind of had to take it because. 
if it's not Hogan, it's Sting. And if, if it's Sting, I mean, one that's a completely different direction. But if you're WCW and you've got Sting on top as, you know, the front man or, or part of, you know, one third of this big heel faction and you've got Luger and Savage and Flair and Giant as these baby faces, Hogan kind of becomes much of muchness. Hogan, you know, doesn't really become worth the money that you, 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 you pay him and you get to, you know, October, November and go, you know, cause Hogan was only scheduled to be on two pay-per-views for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, that may well not change. Um, but there was, I, I think Roy, the big, the real big thing about this is that there was very really this thought of there is a life after Hulk Hogan. Yes, Although, absolutely. And, uh, I think, I think Hogan, uh, might have seen that particular writing on the wall, which might well have been the, uh, the final, uh, final full stop for him to make the decision and agree to turn heel. Because as much as I praised Hogan for his promo earlier, and I'd gladly do so again, in Hogan's view, it's all Hogan all the time. And he wants a piece of the pie when, when he knows he can get the most out of it. But I still think it was the right decision. But just briefly go back to talking about Sting. Um, if, if Hogan hadn't done it, then Sting would have been, okay, would have been a viable third man. However, I don't know if I would have we would have had to tell a really, really compelling, tight story to try to convince me why Sting would turn on WCW. Oh, I, I think Jeff did a pretty good job explaining that last month, isn't yes, he? Did, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, he had a decent show. He was there. Well, that's 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 the boy Parker. He's got the um, uh, he's always got the context down pat. That boy. Um, I'm, I'm, I was still, I, was, I would, I, even then, I still might have struggled to believe it. But as it is, it's uh, it's, it's just a moot point anyway. Um, that's what I've done. If I really want to see Sting as a heel just yet, if I'm being perfectly honest. I'm still not absolutely convinced he's got the chops to pull it off. But anyway, uh, we are where we are, and Hogan made, made the decision he had to make uh, to save his own career as much as anything else, because um, Hall and Nash otherwise would have been where it's at. And and the one thing we can say is we can sure shit, you know, WWF a year after throwing him under the bus. I don't think there would have been a... Yeah, it would have been a great scope for WWF bringing Hogan back either. You know, after you know all the stuff of Billionaire Ted at the beginning of the year and claiming Hogan's geriatric and over the hill. Yes, um, that would have been an odd dynamic at the beginning of '97 too. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Wayne. One thing that we'll we'll discuss kind of you know throughout when we when, when we look at all this stuff going going down the next kind of you know however long this discussion takes is is kind of the 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 re, the offset of this and. We're going to come to it with Jim Duggan, of all people, later in the show. But Sting cut, I the best promo I've ever seen Sting cut the, the, the night after. And given that Hogan wasn't there or wasn't on the show, um, it needed it. And, and Sting came out and, and, and hit that right out of the park. Oh, yeah, definitely. A 10 out of 10 promo from, from Sting in my eyes is probably one of the best promos I've seen from him. Um, I'd probably say that that promo shows that everyone's raising the stakes now. They know what's what's happening with this shift with with Hogan becoming uh, uh becoming a heel and and I think the promo itself firmly puts uh, Sting in that number one baby face role um because now I'm starting to believe well if NWO are going to be a force is Sting going to be the uh going to be the 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 antagonist to the um protagonist you know he's going to be the one that brings them down in the end so uh yeah I think it was uh, it was the promo that's going to set the tide. The July 15th edition of Nitro begins with Tony telling us that both the Outsiders and Hulk Hogan will be here tonight. 
Larry suggests that the New World Order could be recruiting for new members as Hogan has enough money to buy an army. First contest pits the Sino Brothers against Fire and Ice. Teddy Long comes out midway through to do some scouting. Once more, these four gives a hugely enjoyable power contest which ends with Rick pinning Ice Train. Gene grabs a word with the Taskmaster, Jimmy Hart and Big Bubba. During the interview, the faces of fear eventually deign us to join and just stand around doing nothing. Jimmy Hart challenges the horseman and promises to do some recruiting of his own against them. Bubba promotes his match later on with Luger. After a commercial, Gene interviews a very irate fire and ice. Not a nice train exchange angry words. Taylor Long comes out to intervene, only to get shoved down by Norton. The implication being that fire and ice are now history. Dean Malenko defeats Billy Kidman in a ter- terrific little match. Before it, Jimmy Hart seems to be trying to acquire Malenko's services by offering him anything he wants, but apparently to no avail. Malenko wins the bout with a Texas Cloverleaf. Back to Gene. He's talking to Kevin Green. Surprise, surprise, he isn't happy with Hulk Hogan either. Most importantly, he wants to rumble with Steve McMichael tonight, but critically, McMichael isn't there yet. Harlem Heat versus Rough and Ready, a team of Dick Slater and Mike Enos for the WCW Tag Team Titles. Both are clients of Colonel Robert Parker, so he will leave happy. After ref distraction, Sherry runs out and kisses Slater, allowing him to full prey to a roll-up as the Heat retain. More from Kevin Green, who wants Michael now, before training camp starts, and then says he'll take him in February instead. We get our first women's title match on Nitro for a while. It wasn't title match. Pete Medusa against Malia Hosaka. Medusa wins the British German suplex just before we hit the second hour. Hour two begins with Bischoff comparing Lex Luger to George Custer. He's mercifully interrupted by that from the outsiders who stand on top of the opposite, stand on top of the staging area opposite the hard camera or the building even. Uh, they cover up the WCW logo with bed sheets which have N, W, and O painted on them. No sign of Hogan yet. He is convinced there will be more than three of them anyway. The outsiders admire their own hard work and then watch Arn Anderson versus Maine. Fireworks squawk during this match, or at least Heenan hopes they're fireworks. Jimmy Hart distracts the referee, allowing the Barbarian to interfere. Maine gets a karate kick and gets a surprising victory. Gene's back again. He's found Steve McMichael and Deborah. Now Kevin Green has left. They mock Green's new football team, the Carolina Panthers, and then just put over McMichael's own football career. Deborah suggests that Green should, quote, go and play with the itty-bitty foreign boys. Whatever that means. Our customary excellent TV match between Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero follows. During this, we see that National are no longer on top of the staging. After 10 minutes of typically great action, both men spill to the outside. Malenko runs out and slams Benoit's head into the ring post. This allows Eddie to beat the 10 count before Benoit does and win by count out. Here comes our main event between Big Bubba and Lex Luger. Bischoff wishes that Sting, Savage and Flair were here tonight as he has a bad feeling about what might happen. After about three minutes of tepid action, we see the outsiders getting out of a limo. Only the outsiders, however. Bubba dominates again in the ring before Luger hits back with the usual. The outsiders walk out to the ring and they attack Luger. As the camera cuts back to the R-way, here's Hulk Hogan. He's dressed all in black, complete with sunglasses and bandana, wearing a snug, satisfied smile. Bischoff calls him the Scrooge of the wrestling world. Hogan stands back and lets the outsiders destroy Luger. Luger then gets kicked out of the ring, but Bubba is still there. Hogan helps him to his feet. Bischoff asks if he is the fourth man, but then the outsiders beat him up too. 
The New World Order stands arms aloft, middle of the ring. G-Note makes his way in. Hulk Hogan, you have led us down the primrose path on this one. Hogan cuts what is a really pared-down version of his Bash at the Beach promo, telling us that the New World Order will rule the wrestling world. Hogan slags off the fans of having the gall to boo him after he led their children down the right path. Hogan claims the credit for Sting no longer being a skinny little bodybuilder and even suggests that Sarge's divorce might have been the result of him not being held to quote-unquote rise to the occasion. Hogan calls himself the greatest wrestler in the world and only the outsiders have the guts to join him. However, he then goes on to heavily imply new members will be joining very soon. Hogan challenges Giant to a WCW title match at Hogwild and promises to make it the NWO title belt. He then calls out the entire WCW locker room as Gene ends the interview. Just before we go off the air, Dungeon of Doom, the Steiners and Islanders make their way to ringside while the Outsiders brandish chair. This NWO, where is it going to go? Who is going to be part of it? I think that's the question we're all asking ourselves and I'm going to ask you. Well, these are the renegades, brother. These are the men that when I opened the door, brother, they had the guts enough to walk through it. These are the guys that are going to set the trend for the 90s that will lead Hulk Hogan in professional wrestling to its destiny. But these guys are just the foundation. The thing that everybody or all the people out there don't realize is as I build my empire... Will there be more outsiders that I bring in? Or will it be people that are so close to Ted Turner? Maybe Eric Bischoff's friends. Who knows, man? Maybe the guys that are in the locker room right now. There's always been a double loyalty, man. In this business, they've been loyal to the promoters that have paid their bills. And they also have been loyal to Hulk Hogan. Because they know where Hulk Hogan goes. That's where professional wrestling goes. You have to vent all of this on these people, your peers in this business. How about the kids that have looked up to you for years and years and years, and now it comes down to this? Take the microphone This is a pretty good example of the way your life is going to go, Hulk Hogan. Well, you know, dude, I laid it out straight for all those kids, brother. They didn't want to follow the path, so I'm done with them, man. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to mess with that skinny little macho man or that crybaby sting. I'm going right to the top of the ladder, brother. And at Hog Wild, brother, on August the 10th, if the giant has got guts enough, I'm going to dismantle the whole Ted Turner organization at one night. We're going to take the WCW belt, make it the new world order belt, and we shall reign supreme from that day forward. And as far as I'm concerned, brother, if Ted Turner has any boys in the back that have any guts at all, come on out right now. We'll beat up the whole WCW right now. And what are they going to do? Oh, yeah. oh please. He's He's and I can't shot. believe it. He has challenged the giant. And this is a madman And right then, now. Rory, He's we out. come a week later. Hogan's first appearance uh, at the end of the July 15th Nitro and a promo that in many ways was, I wouldn't say as important, it certainly wasn't um, but when you consider that the pay-per-view is probably going to come back with a buy rate I'm trying to think what their shows would have done yeah, would have been seen by, would have been bought by maybe 100, 150,000 yeah. people something yep. in that kind of range seen by, you know 
people, more than one person. Maybe seen by, you know, 200, 250,000 people, depending on how many people are watching per household. Um, you then cut to a promo that's being shown in front of millions of people. Uh, if anything, this was just as important. And as much as having seen the pay-per-view, we probably can't give it that billing. Um, I, I thought Hogan did almost equally as good a job, but he did kind of go on a bit. Yes, I mean, it started off as being kind of sort of the, the, the pared-down Cliff's Notes version of his, uh, of his uh, pay-per-view promo. It was everything that was in that promo, just a little bit less. Uh, I think when everything... I, mean, I still delivered it perfectly. His delivery was excellent. I'm not, I'm not knocking out at all. But, um, and he, he did rabbit on a bit towards the end. But then he did come up with the uh, very important uh, two things, saying, yes, uh, he wants the giant because he wants to make the title the NWO title. And I thought that was particularly uh, very, very important because that is showing that uh, the New World Order, they're not just a, a standard heel stable, that they really are trying to form their own their own company out of WCW. Well, well, they could just bring in the NWA title and scribble out the A. <laughs> that'd, 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 be, uh, that'd be easy. Um, WCW have done that sort of thing before. I remember Lex Luger lifting the Western States Heritage title when he won the, the world belt in uh, Great America Bash 91, so that'd be nothing new. And so, but the fact that they, that was so important, that, that the, there's a purpose for the New World Order to actually exist. They want to form their own, oh yes, organisation. So that was the key in this promo for me. Uh, and also just want, want to add, the Hogan Orbit admitting that new members were on the way, and that's very, very interesting. Wayne, any thoughts on this? No, I mean, I'd, I'd probably say that his um, promo at Bash at the Beach was was better. Uh, but as I said in in uh, when we was covering that off, sorry, um, I thought he felt uh, or he seemed a lot more comfortable in in this heel role. Um, he spoke a lot um, clearer about his his actions and and the thought process of of why he's turned, etc. So I thought he felt you know better suited in 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 this heel role compared to the one at uh, at Bash at the Beach. But um, but yeah. Obviously, just uh, uh, very telling that if they're looking at setting up an organisation, having their own title for the organisation, and the only way that you're going to make an organisation is by bringing more members in. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll discuss that. I think probably after we get through the end of uh, probably the end of the full show. Um, but now is probably an interesting time. Wait, are the NWO already a cool faction? Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they were um, before there was even mention of um, of a third man. So, uh, so yeah, I'd probably say that they that they were cool. I mean, look, different is cool, isn't it? We, you know, we, we spoke about Nitro um, when that first started, and how that was different to you know the shows that they'd put on, and, and obviously the competition in the WWF, and that was different. That was cool. We've seen a lot of new things, and I think this is what we've seen with. Uh, uh, with Hall and Nash coming in, so uh, so yeah, I, you know, we're adding we're adding a heel Hogan, which is which is also fresh. So uh, it's it's only made it cooler, but yeah, it was already cool. Rory, of course they're cool. Um, just just look at the, what their previous characters were. I mean, as, as over as they often were in WWF, their characters were a human razor blade and a human truck, respectively. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get much character out of that. Here they are allowed to before we even get to Hogan. They're allowed to be Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They could be their own wise-ass, cooler-than-school types with the volume turned right up. 
and people are going to react to that. I've got to say, it's, it's, I mean, they are a heel faction. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they're taking over the company, for goodness sake. But it's going to be hard to hate them because they are just so damn cool. I, I love the guys. I think they're, they're, they're being themselves. They're doing what they want to do and to hell with everybody else. And like I said earlier, that's the character that Hogan is now trying to play as well after 13 years of, okay, the biggest baby face of all time. Cool, Hogan most definitely was not. You know, being told to, you know, say your prayers and eat your vitamins, that, that ain't cool. <laughs> you know, but dressing up in a, in a, in a bandana and sunglasses and laughing at your, your mates beating down one of your old friends, like Big Bubba, you know, you might not like it, but that is coolness personified. It's going to be hard to keep them healed, though. That's all I'm going to say. Because they are wicked, <laughs> in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, I think that's that's the interesting dynamic, is if you're going to keep these guys on the heel side, and you kind of have to. Um, you're going to have to. You're going to need to... You know, it's not necessarily about not making them cool, because they're... Yeah, it's more about them getting over. It's more you need to give the guys on the other side something to match up with them with. You need to give guys on the other side in equal ammunition in equal volume to, to fire back. Um, and they haven't given them that yet, and to an extent that's fair enough. You've got to get the NWO as a group, as a trio over, and then at that point you can look at expanding um, in, in terms of getting the, the babyface side kind of back on track. Um, but that is a concern. Uh, they are already really cool, let's be honest. Um, you know, they they rock up and they put in the, the N and the W over the WCW, you know, kind of a bed sheet over the WCW sign. Um one thing that we, we did kind of mention, but it, it did make a difference, was 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 everything being at Disney MGM this month, and, and all four nitros being on the same set outside, which kind of made things uh, gave things a unique vibe as well. Um, but yeah, you know, they're already they're just so different, you know, and the they're the guys that wander through the crowd with baseball bats and smash it up, and the guys that you know that, that there's two of them and they're getting fought off by seven or eight guys. That is an inherently cool faction of guys, a group of guys that you want to rally behind. That's a dynamic they're going to have to get over. Back at Disney MGM Studios for the July 22nd Nitro. In deference to his lighting of the Olympic flame this week, we get montage, we get footage, sorry, of Muhammad Ali at Halloween Havoc two years ago. We also hear that Shaquille O'Neal might not be happy with Hulk Hogan's actions either. Our only match is Squire Day Taylor go up against the newly solo Scott Norton. Potentially intriguing clash of styles but ends all too quickly via disqualification when Norton throws Taylor over the top rope. Yes, they've gone back to the over the top rope disqualification. Gene is at a dining table with the horsemen, Deborah, Liz and Woman, no flair at the moment. Arn tells us it's because he, quote, likes to make an entrance. McMichael makes generic threats towards Sting, Luger and Savage, who the horsemen will be facing later tonight in the main event. BK Wall Street, accompanied by loud IRS chants, takes on Conan. Conan, sorry. After a dull heat segment, Conan hits back and eventually wins with a reversing the stock market crash into a crucifix. Here's Gene again. He's with Sting, Luger and Savage and they're promoting their match against the Horsemen. Luger helpfully tells us that Flair is somewhere. Sting once again tells Hogan to stick it, then makes sure we know that he's ready to, quote, chomp on some Horsemen. Savage calls out both Hogan and Flair. Alex Wright, Jim Powers, Joe Gomez and the Renegade are in the ring for an eight-man tag against the Taskmaster, Hugh Morris, the Barbarian and uh, the Leprechaun. 
We get to see very little of this as much as the camera goes backstage and we're in the control room. Not G- me Gene Oakland's one, but the control truck and the outsiders are in there. They could cut us off right now, says Tony. Hall and Nash grab some headsets, stick around with some camera for, uh, sound effects and camera sweeps for a while. Eventually security appear and after one more crowd shot, the outsiders decide to leave. Nash says, everyone back to our trailer for pot pies and Mountain Dew. Tony calls the whole thing a crime, but it was all pretty harmless. Still a match going on, well, until Giant strolls out and just chokeslams all the baby faces. Gene climbs in the ring and asks Giant if he accepts Hogan's challenge at Hogwild. Giant tells us he swore an oath that he'd defend the belt wherever he, whenever he needed to. He's been wrecking havoc in WCW while Hogan's been trying, off trying to win an Oscar. To a mixed reaction, the Giant tells us he will chokeslam Hogan in the middle of Hogwild. The match is on. DDP defeats Prince Iokea with a diamond cutter. Chava Guerrero Jr., the nephew of Eddie, defeats Dean Malenko. Commentators discuss Malenko possibly joining the Dungeon of Doom. Match crossover into an hour two. Dean gets the victory in a good contest with a Texas Cloverleaf. Ice Train is up against Meng. As you'd imagine, there are very few punches pulled in this one. The commentators only really care about Hogan and the fourth guy, which is a shame because the match gets a fair bit of time and isn't actually that bad. Interestingly, Scott Norton comes out to ringside during the match and attacks Meng. He tells the camera that he's got trains back, but only until Hogwild. After a catch-up video package about the formation of the NWO and how WCW planned to react to it, we get an Eddie Guerrero and Psychosis in some high-frying action. That's that one, Bischoff. They managed to pack a ton of great stuff into the match before Eddie secures victory with a frog splash. He's really starting to get over Rick Flair's music hits, but he isn't there as Michael Benoit and the ladies head down to ringside. After a brief break, we get a shot of Arn Anderson trying to look inside the limo. His expression suggests he's not sure about what he's seen, but he joins the team as a substitute because it looks like Flair is a no-show. Our six-man tag main event is on. The match is dominated by the Horsemen as Sting takes an extended heat segment. Sting finally gives a hot tag to Luger, who lays waste to everyone and all six men are in the ring. Savage manages to grab back his own briefcase full of money from Deborah, use it as a weapon whacking Benoit in the back, so back of the head, sorry, so Luga can secure a pinfall. Gene Oakland heights the fourth coin match between Sting and Luga against the outsiders at Hog Wild. Sting says we're not feeling down, we're feeling mean. Apparently the horoscopes tell us that it'll be a bad day of Leo's for four Leos at Hogwild. Luga informs us that he is losing it and he cares about the world championship wrestling. He will wipe the smirk off their face at Hogwild. Savage closes out, promising to beat up Hogan in the R before his title match at the pay-per-view. We go off air without finding out who's in the limo. I can't believe the carnage we saw here tonight on Nitro, but that has become symbolic of what this man has done since his arrival here in World Championship Wrestling. However, there seems to be a big brick wall in your way right now, you wear the WCW heavyweight title. You're managed by the mouth. Jimmy Hart, you scare me, especially when you're behind me like that. Giant, we heard the challenge from Hulk Hogan. The entire world awaits your response to that challenge. He asked you. He didn't ask. He demanded that you put the title on the line at Hogwild August the 10th. Hogan, when I came into WCW... My mission was to win the World Heavyweight Championship. I did that. And when I won it, I swore an oath. An oath to defend that. 
battle wherever I needed to defend it. Whether it be in Japan, where I was last week, whether it be here in the States. Hogan, you come out and you call yourself part of the New World Order while you've been off in Hollywood making movies, trying to win an Oscar. I've been wreaking havoc in WCW. I've been the cancer in WCW that nobody could cure. But now that you have the New World Order, WCW comes to me. Giant, what are we going to do about Hulk Hogan and the New World Order? I tell you what we're going to do about Hulk Hogan. At Sturgis, we're going to choke slam him in the middle of the ring. That's what we're going to do. And Rory, we speak of Cole, 22nd of July. Hall and Nash get inside the production truck and start messing with commentary. They, you know, deny us the opportunity to see an eight-man tag involving Joe Gomez and Alex Wright, the horror. How could um, they? How could they indeed? <laughs> and, you know, they're bossing people about. I talk about a cool group, and only cool guys get in the truck and walk around like they own the place. Bloody right. I mean, this, this just, just think what we're seeing here. I mean, we're not supposed to know that a production truck exists, if you know what I mean. When we're watching a, a television production of a wrestling show, it's just taken as being there. But they were taking us absolutely behind the scenes, showing us uh, the whole nerve center. That's how cool these guys are. They're going to rock up. They're going to go into that. They're going to go into that trailer. They're going to steal some headsets. They're going to dick around with funny voices. They're going to do some camera pan sweeps, and they're going to do it because they bloody can. That's and, and that is it. Humanizes them. They're real people. They're they're a bunch of the two friends just want to go out there and have a laugh. And they were doing it. And again, I repeat, people are going to react to that. People are going to relate to that. And I think it's an absolutely fantastic thing that they are allowed, essentially, to be themselves. And I'm still laughing now at that golden line from Nash at the end when they eventually carried out, all back to my trailer for pot pies and mountain chew. Uh, that, that boy knows how to party, I tell you. Wayne, thoughts, thoughts on this? Well, I, th- I think Rory's covered it off really well. I mean, again, we're, we're covering off the, the cool factor with these guys. Um, it's a far cry from uh, from Hulk Hogan being in the uh, in, in the dungeon, um, putting his hand in, in cold water, etc. So uh, when but you see stuff, it's, it's a far cry from Diesel just being a bit shit on Raw last year, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. a far cry from Hall, you know, Razor being underused. You know, it's like, it, it's not just they're cool in relation to the rest of the roster, they're cool in relation to themselves. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, when you put it like that, I, you know, I can't, I can't disagree with you. And we arrive at the final tea review of the month. Thank you for bearing with us on July the 29th with Nitro Lester at Disney MGM. We learn that Giant will defend the world title against R. Anderson, and Rey Mysterio will put the Cruiserweight title on the line versus Eddie Guerrero. Larry Zabisco coins the term New World Odor. Get some footage from Saturday night, supposedly shot by the outsiders themselves, of Hall and Nash attacking Sting as he's about to get into his car. They put in quite the beating. Tony tells us that Sting is okay and only suffered minor injuries. Thought it was worth, apparently they did that storyline because they were already a bit worried about Hogan overshadowing them. There we go. Uh, the only match is Mike Enos faking, facing Hacksaw Jim Duggan. 
This gets a surprising amount of time before Duggan goes to the babyface no-sell mode and wins by clocking Enos with a roll of tape. He then cuts a shockingly good promo about the Hulk turn. He brings up the Make the Wish Foundation and the Special Olympics work he and Hogan did together and he now has to try and explain Hogan's actions to his daughters. He closes with, Hogan, you might be a great technical wrestler, but I don't want to wrestle you. I just want to beat you up. Here come the horsemen, with Flair actually amongst them this time for a six-man tag against Sting, Luger and Savage. This is happening very early in the show, which is a sign that something was coming. We begin with a huge and very intense brawl between everybody. When we come back from the break, the match itself actually begins. A lot of really fun action here as the Face team dominate. That is until a frantic and just desperate Jimmy Hart comes down to ringside saying that we have to get cameras to the back as the outsiders are there. Hart jumps on the apron trying to get the match stopped saying we need help. Finally cut to the back when we see both Arn Anderson and Marcus Bagwell down on the ground. We then see that the outsiders are indeed there and they have baseball bats in their hands. They then attack Scotty Riggs. Rey Mysterio tries to dive on Nash from the trailer that they're in. Nash catches him, then hurls him headfirst into the side of the trailer like it was a torpedo. The Outsiders make a getaway in a limo. Savage jumps on the limo. He tries to get through the sunroof as it drives off round the corner. Most of the roster are now backstage as the injured wrestlers are attended to. In amongst the confusion, we hear Eddie Guerrero tell us that Rey Mysterio reckons there were four of them. Then of all things, a fire engine turns up. Followed, followed shortly after by an ambulance this is being treated like a serious and genuine incident that isn't part of the show commentators employ grave tones and we stay backstage with the carnage for a very long time we return to hour two with all four commentators looking ashen faced Heenan brings up his neck surgery and the problems with nerves in his hands he says he won't do the broadcast tonight unless his safety is guaranteed Bischoff can't give him that guarantee so Heenan walks off we cut back to see Arn Anderson being very gingerly placed onto a stretcher. The crowd actually starts standing, start chanting boring at this point as there's nothing going on in the ring. Final shot is a sting and flare in the ambulance as the injured wrestlers are taken away. After that we get a quote-unquote standby match of the Steiners against the debuting High Voltage, that's Rage and Chaos. Shivoni, Bischoff and Zabisco are a commentary team, now Heenan has left. The crowd subdued for a while, but they eventually get into it when the Steiners bring out the big moves. The brothers get the win after Scott hits the screwdriver. We see more ambulances being driven off, followed by another standby contest of Big Bubba against the concerned-looking Eddie Guerrero. Bubba gets the lion's share of the offensive. During this, Bischoff tells us that quote-unquote national news are calling about today's earlier events, and that there are indeed four men. Eddie actually wins the match with a sunset flip after Bubba drops the megaphone and Jimmy Hart threw it in the ring. Next is our first package promo from the NWO. They will get a voiceover telling us that the quote following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. We see Hogan and Nash on what looks like a soundstage which is shot entirely in black and white with many jump cuts. They have a lot to say, but is perhaps put it best by Nash reinforced that the NWO have, quote, power, fame, money, and now our own corporation. All chips in with, we're taking over world championship wrestling. Hogan tells us that all of Ted's men will not be able to put WCW back together again, and there was an August the 10th, he's wrestling the giant. On that night, the outsiders become the insiders. The NWO will establish itself as the greatest wrestling organisation on earth. 
Back at ringside, Zabisco rather confidently thinks the NWO will go the same way as Benedict Arnold. We're going to get a re- video recap of events from earlier. Our replacement for the main event is Giant defending the world title against Greg Valentine. Giant wins in short order, chokeslamming Valentine twice. Gene interviews the Giant to close the show. The Giant starts his promo by doing a pretty decent Hogan impression. When Gene twigs, Giant says he did that to show how easy it is to fall for a con trap. Hogan didn't believe a single word he was saying and he ashamed America. He calls the outsiders piranhas and said that WCW must hang together. Hogan, I have a chokeslam noose that will hang around your neck. Hold on a sec, folks. Hold on a second. You know, everybody's just wondering, Hawk, what have you done? What have you done to us? Not just your friends, not just your family, not just your countrymen, but his fans, Gene. The young kids, they really looked up to you. They really believed in your Hulkster. I've been with you for almost 20 years. I've gone to the Make-A-Wish Foundation with you. I've been to the Special Olympics. I know what's in your heart. So what's wrong with you, Hulk? Why turn your back on everything that you used to love? Why turn your back on everything that loved you? I don't understand. I had you over to my home. Jeannie's held my two little girls in his arms. The first word my oldest spoke was Hulkster. I've got to look her in the eye and tell her what kind of man you are. Hulkster, you're a great technical wrestler. But I don't want to wrestle you. I want to beat you up. And on to the 29th, and the most significant part of the month, probably, well, you know, not really, but the most significant TV show, I think, of the month. Um, a lot to get through here. We'll attack it chronologically, I think. Um, Wayne, we talk about people cutting the promo of their lives. We talk about Hogan cutting the promo of his life and Sting cutting the promo of his life. Um, I don't want to equate this promo to that level, but I can kind of justify sticking Jim Duggan on that list. Yeah, well, um, the fact that it was a personal promo. Yes, Sting was personal. I get that. But this is Duggan. This is, he's been a friend of Hogan for... For so many years now, and uh, and to turn his back on uh, on on him, you know, he even mentions his his own daughters in in this promo. So when you're putting it on a personal level like that, with the history that these two guys have uh, have got, then um, you know you 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 can't not feel emotion to it and, and show empathy. So uh, you know, I thought it was uh, it was a fantastic promo from Duggan, um, and um, and you know, it was it was a good uh, raising awareness as as to why Hogan was doing it. Yes, Hogan has uh, has put some emphasis on, on why but you know I thought uh, Duggan was uh, was just probing that a little bit deeper Roy? Yeah I just want to say a, a tiny bit more on this because I think Wayne's covered it uh, brilliantly it was a great promo from Duggan I got the sense that Hacksaw Jim Duggan was genuinely betrayed by Hulk Hogan and they interviewed pretty much everybody throughout the month everybody's everybody from Kevin Green down said oh it's terrible I can't believe Hulk Hogan did this etc etc I felt that Duggan personally was massively let down by the Hulk Hogan character's actions and that came across in his promo. It wasn't a particularly long promo, it was probably only just over a minute, but I really did sense at the end when Hacksaw said, I don't want to wrestle you, I just want to beat you up. And uh, 
I believed him. So, well done, Doggan. Yeah, we talk about Duggan's declining relevance. I still think he's got a role to play in this. It might only be a minor one, but, you know, I, I, I think to round this point home, it really is going to, in the short term, it really would pay to utilise the guys that you've got. You may not savage. Savage is, is, is a is, is a much bigger part of the story. But guys that they've got on the roster that have got a significant history with Hogan, and, and, and Duggan and Bubba are two of those guys. Um, that I would I would shine a light on a little bit more, even if it is just at the, in the end, just to kind of get the group over a little bit more. Duggan's kind of perfect for that. Oh, the action won't be very good, um, but Duggan's in that spot. Um, and then during the second match, Jimmy Hart runs out and desperately tries to get people's attention, and eventually we cut backstage and Arn Anderson is down, uh, Marcus Bagwell is down, Scotty Riggs comes out and gets laid out, I think with a light. Uh, Ray Mysterio, they're basically backstage because they're outside. Backstage is just kind of two, um, kind of, you know, put up, you know, kind of huts really almost. Um, the kind of thing you can kind of stick on the back of a truck and kind of wheel round. Uh, and Mysterio kind of sees what's going on, decides to jump off of a railing, um, towards Nash. Nash catches him and then just torpedoes him into the side of the hut, which is a really, really striking moment too. Um, and then eventually people start getting backstage. Nash and Hall jump into a limo. Um, Randy Savage then quite comically jumps on top of the limo and tries to climb in it as it drives off. Um, and the big kind of story in amongst a massively long segment with everyone recovering was that Rey Mysterio and others saying there was more than two of them. Mysterio said as many as four. Now, there weren't, that they were never shown on screen. Hogan wasn't in the country at the time, so no worries about that. Um, but Wayne, I, I, I talk about the kind of changing dynamics of, of the group, and some weeks they're cool and some weeks they're vicious. Um, I, I, I think it helps that they're vicious um, more than it does when they're cool, I think. Yeah, I mean, what, one thing that this did, um, uh, this did add is the dynamic of, of the WCW, uh, roster. Because, uh, all, all I got from it, and, you know, you just touched on being cool and being vicious, all I would got was I just felt so much sympathy for, uh, for the likes of Arn Anderson and Rey Mysterio and, and, and Bagwell and, um, I can't really remember if uh, anybody else got took down now, but uh, you know, uh, you know those guys, and these are heels and faces, and seeing the emotion of um, of, of the other uh, guys coming in and helping them out, people like Ric Flair and, and Woman and um, and Eddie Guerrero, etc. So, uh, um, all you know, all I was doing was 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 now looking to to root for WCW off the uh, uh, off the back of it. But one thing it did do is, is show that NWO was uh, was a real force. Yeah, I mean, I think, Rory, one of the big kind of takeaways from this and one of the big takeaways from the month is that it really is, um, it really is NWO versus the world. It really is NWO versus the rest of WCW and kind of the, the aftermath of this. And this segment, I cannot understand, this segment, whole thing was absolutely ages. It took about 20 minutes in terms of from when it first happened before they, I think they sent out the next match. And, and, and one thing, you know, I'll come to that, actually, I'll come to that in a second. But Rory, I, I think a big thing, thing from this segment was, you know, whether it's Maine and Benoit, whether it's, you know, Arn Anderson and other baby faces, Everyone else is being brought together in unite, united against the NWO. Yes, and that's the story they're going to have to tell, and that's probably the one reason why there will probably need to need to be some more NWO members soon. But that's the way the story is going uh, on commentary. That's how it's always being pushed. 
that WCW need to unite. And just the little things like showing, um, like I think it was uh, Meng and I think it was uh, Ben Meng and Benoit um, uh, exchanging words. You could really feel the tension there that these are WCW wrestlers, both bad guys in fact. Just thinking that, hang on, we need to uh, tensions are getting high here. We need to try and need to try and keep our heads. But here we are, you know, locking horns with each other when we t- should all be turning on a common enemy. And again, that just makes things seem a little bit more real. It's uh, character dividing lines for very believable reasons. I mean, I was, th- I was thinking about this when I was actually watching the segment. It's, it's certainly the first time in either of the two uh, big companies where we've had a situation where you've had the good guys and the bad guys together. The only other press I could really think off the top of my head was uh, a couple of years ago uh, when uh, Tommy Dreamer blinded the Sandman and there was everybody was there backstage. And, yeah, that, you know, it, it reminded me of that segment too. Yeah. Yes, it was, it was that kind of thing where everybody sort of dropped their... Inverted, the book has dropped their character and uh, just united against the situation in hand. And if they can keep that story going for a long time, they've got something big here. Yeah, um, I'd agree with all that. I think one of the other things that I was very impressed by, uh, in fact, Miles listening to it now, um, was um, amongst, this is probably illustrative more than anything, but I'll, uh, I'll let Bobby Heenan tell the story. It's you know, scary. Stop right now. Let me get something straight here right now, Eric. I'm not going to do a, a wrestling interview. I'm talking to you man-to-man, face-to-face. I have a history of neck injuries. You know that. If you get a shot of this, I have nerve damage in my hand. Eric, the job isn't worth it to me to be out here. They almost broke your back a couple weeks ago. You saw what just happened out back. There's bodies all over the place. I'm not going to do the broadcast tonight unless somebody can guarantee me security. Somebody can guarantee me that my, I physically won't be hurt. Can you do that? Bobby, I can't guarantee you anything right now. You do what you feel you have to do. Well, I have to walk away from this. My health and my well-being, I'm not going to be crippled and paralyzed for the rest of my life. Look, I'm not going to argue with you here. I'm not going to argue with you, Bobby. You do what you have to do. Yeah, I think one of the things I was most impressed by was just, you know, the, the way they treated it. I mean, it, it was one of those things... It, the beatdown wasn't very good. Let's let's be clear about that. You know, it didn't. You know, it didn't help. We didn't see the first half. That was all part of the realism. But the stuff we saw, other than Masiro getting smashed off the the heart, wasn't much of a muchness. And even the aftermath, it was like one of those things where, to an extent, the longer they left it, the the, the less effective it got. And then it just, it was almost like, well, you've gone so long, it's starting to feel memorable now. Um, and I love the Heenan quote we just heard. You know, we talk about realism and that kind of thing. And Heenan's saying, look, you either guarantee my safety or I'm off. It felt real. It felt like, it felt like that would be the natural reaction of Heenan. We, hell, we've seen Heenan earlier this year in a real situation mm. be grabbed by Brian Pillman and told him to, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's happened. We know this to be true. Um, so he didn't reaction like that was put, and he didn't halfway walked off during that segment too. So as much as this was kind of put on, we can go back six months and say, well, actually that fits in with what was seen previously. So whose side is he on? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but that too, but I, I thought that as, as an episode, you know, and, and, and even, even Wayne, even really small stuff like we've got standby matches and we have to see the Steiners against high voltage and even really small stuff. I don't know if you caught this Wayne, but the, the Steiners match where the Steiners aren't you being the normal Steiner cells, they're kind of looking over their shoulders. All really small, but really important touches. I, I thought everything was um, was top notch by uh, by the production and, and and how everything was shot. One of the things that you mentioned last week, Bob, was um, was the pay per view should have ended 
uh, after the um, uh, after the jackknife to Eric Bischoff, um, and you know I was I was agreeing with you at that time. I think the the thing that we had with this is it obviously went on for so long is we had an hour's worth of television still to go, and the fact that they were still shooting people getting in the ambulance and and people having discussions between themselves, you know, I thought it was uh, it was fantastic for that because it just made it that more believable. And, and like you said, even the commentary how they was how they was going on about what other matches have we got I mean we saw Greg Valentine in a main event because it was meant to be Iron Anderson against the Giants so uh, you know it's uh, you know all that is just having people on standby etc was uh, was you know believable and it, everything about it was just fantastic anything to get Greg Valentine in a main event in 1999 <laughs> oh yes I, I, I suppose I suppose um, Roy does the NWO need more members and, and if so who and if so how soon Oh goodness me! Uh, the, the, if, as talk, I say, talk about a list of questions. Go on, pick that yeah. up. If, if they're going to uh, tell the story of NWO versus WCW, which it looks like they're going, they are going to need new members. Now is the big question. I'm, I'm not. I'm not privy to backstage uh, contract talks here. Whether and in fairness, I like the fact that uh, Hogan and Hall have sort of mentioned this in their in their promos. That will they be new outsiders coming in, i.e., people from? Let's just say, for example, a big organisation up north. Now, I don't know how things are actually going with that one, but uh, it could happen. Looking at the WCW roster, I've got to say, and I think I like the way they've done this, there's no real straws in the wind at this point. Um, with the possible exception... Hang on, there's no real straws in the wind? Yes, that's a, have you not heard that expression? i.e. suggestions that something's going to be happening. Oh, nothing in the pipeline. Is yeah, that what yes, yeah. Right. That's right, yes. Yeah. I, I, I didn't just make that up, I promise. Right, OK. It's, it, it is definitely an expression. Bud Boy Smith and Bobby Heenan, me, I tell you. It was, it was, yeah, yes. It's, so remember that one. But WCW July 1996, The Straws in the Wind, on my podcast, with a possible exception on the 22nd of July, uh, with the situation where... There was supposedly somebody in a limousine, and we never found out who it actually was when Ric Flair no-showed the supposed six-man tag match that was going to take place. Now, I'm not saying for one second that means I think that Flair is going to join. I think, as we said earlier, he needs to stay de facto babyface for a while. But they're keeping us guessing, and that is good. But if, it, if they are going to uh, turn people internally, because we're not able to sign anybody away from WWF, then they probably do need to do it fairly soon. However, Hall, Nash and Hogan will need to be the focal points for at least the next couple of months, especially as Hogan is going to be challenging for the title and will almost certainly end up winning it. Wayne? If, if obviously the are making the organisation, they're going to have to grow stronger and, and bigger, but... There's, there's two ways it could go. I mean, you know, you could look at bringing in people like Savage later down the line. I, I think we'll, we'll have a heel Hogan versus a face Savage happening, first of all, but I could see him him joining later down the line. Um, you know, and, and people like that. You know, we, we've got uh, Bret Hart, who's uh, in discussions with WWF over contracts or, or something along those lines. So that could be a spanner in the works, and, and, and maybe they could bring someone like that. If it's big names then you know, that's only going to make it stronger. But one thing that you've got to be careful of is that you don't dilute it by just bringing any old soul in just for the um, for sake of bringing the numbers up. Yeah, real, real tricky balance to strike this um, 
that the group has been so effective because you've brought in two big names from well, from the outside and then you know you, you turn the biggest name of all like how, how do you follow Hogan who follows Hogan like that's uh that's a real fun discussion they're going to have. What it's worth, I, I do understand Bret Hart is working without a contract at the moment. Um, well, he's not working; he just doesn't have one. Um, but I, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe that's a precursor of him coming in. But it's like, if the fourth guy is Big Bubba, like, ugh, you know, like if the if the fourth guys, uh, well, actually, the Steiner brothers, I quite like the Steiner brothers as the fourth guy, or fourth and fifth, um, that there are intriguing names, but everything feels like a step down. And of course it's going to, you know, everything at this point felt like a step up. We got to the top of the mountain, the only way's down now. Um, you know, we talk about turning someone like Savage, you know, for, for every... Yeah, they're going to need big names on the other side of this group opposing them. I think Savage is right at the top of that tree. Um, maybe you could turn Savage on the base of you've got Flair, Giant, Sting on the other side. Maybe, but Luger, I don't know that I'd do it. Um, it's a real interesting discussion point balance. I, I, you know, talk of Jeff Jarrett. I, I mean, Jeff Jarrett would be, you know, Jeff Jarrett's not available for a few months. So, it, it, so yeah, I mean, they, they were talking about the fourth guy so overtly. I'm expecting it to happen probably in the next six to eight weeks. Um, if that, just on the base that I think they'll want to try and get the next guy in quickly. And Jarrett's not going to be around for another few months. Um, but, you know, the, the, the pickings off the, off the uh, off the WWF tree are kind of getting thinner and thinner. That's a real struggle. Rory, any more thoughts? Yeah, because I, I, I want to be able to. We have whatever the big final blow off battle, whatever it might be. Who knows? Years down the line, when we have NWO versus WCW, I want it to be a fair fight. I want to believe that that both sides have enough elite members that either side can actually genuinely win it. My concern is that. Um, Either the the NWO will end up mining all the WCW super best talent and indeed maybe some talent from elsewhere, leading people to think that whenever whenever there is a final battle or big matches that WCW don't have a hope. And especially if you want to keep the NWO faction heel, then there's got to be a reason to root against them. So it's really, really difficult. So when you say someone, can it be Big Bubba, would that be a letdown? Yes, it would be, but then you're not whacking all your super big stars into the NWO at WCW's expense either. So it is a very, very tricky one. The well, next, any more, Cole? Well, yeah, sorry, I was just going to come back on rolling that one. The, the next, I don't know, six to ten um, stars that they bring in, I've got to be big names, um, whether it's from WCW or, or WW, um, WWF. You know that that's then you can bring all the other guys in and, and make it more like Rory says, make it a, a fair fight where you you've got WCW against the NWO and there's there's equal numbers on on each side and and, and make it for that way. Um, you know, obvious choice for for that match is is Sting versus Hogan. It's got to be Sting is the number one baby face. We've alluded to it for so long, so you know we'd probably take him out of the uh, of the equation on that one. But you know, as I said before, bringing the likes in of someone like Savage, a, a, a Bret Hart, um, you know, possibly possibly Fleur. Maybe you know, maybe, maybe that's a stretch too far. But um, just. just you know, not numbers for numbers set for the for, for the moment. If you if you're bringing someone 
um, an underutilised name to, to follow Hogan, then you know this thing's going to fall flat on its face before it's even got started. Yeah, very tricky to balance the strike. We'll, uh, we'll see how that develops. Why the following message is played for, paid for, sorry, by the New World Order. Black and white promo. Hogan cutting some pretty un-Hogan-like promos. Certainly the kind of thing we haven't really heard from him before. Um, went on a while, but established a lot of things they wanted to establish. Um, I like the idea that it was paid for by the NWO. That explained it being there. Um, two big thumbs up from me. Oh yeah, and uh, and and two from my side as well because uh, again, and I, th- I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was well shot. It was you know way out of the ordinary. I'd probably say the the closest I can think of anything like this. Um, and 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 again, it's 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 it's, it's far away than uh, 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 than what I probably would make out, but. Something like with Gold Dust, the way that is promos have been shot in the past, um, just that vibe. But you know, the black and white feel to it is uh, well, not a feel. It was shot in black and white, and that goes with uh, with NWO colours. You know, I, I thought it was ev- everything was uh, was totally outside the box from from what we've been used to. Um, you know, hats off to WCW as I said once again the the trend setting, and they have been since the uh, since Nitro debuted. Um, Hogan again coming across as cool. That's all we've we've been talking about is is the NWO being cool and uh, um, you know and I th- once again I thought he was uh, coming across with his with his Hollywood uh, Hogan attitude and, um, and 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 setting the tone and you know I can't uh, I, I can't say any bad things about it really. Roy, one and a half thumbs up for me on this one. I've got to say I love the idea of it. I love the fact that it had been paid for. Uh, I love uh, National Hall being National Hall. I mean. Now saying, Lex, what are your bench? What are your bench, Lex? I was in hysterics over that for ages. The only thing I didn't like about this was actually I've I've given him far too much praise today, so I've got to I've got to counterbalance it. I thought Hogan actually struggled a bit here. He was I've got to disagree with you slightly, Bob. I thought this was just almost the heel version of Hogan's uh, cartoony promos from many years ago when he's saying, "Oh, um, what's it? Oh, all of uh, Millionaire Ted's." we won't be able to put you know, King's horses back together again or whatever it was. I was like, okay, that's. I think you need to be moving away from that kind of thing now. But does that not make sense? In what way? Doesn't it make sense that we can hear the old Hulk Hogan and the new Hulk Hogan? To some degree, yes. Because it's still Hulk Hogan. It's a different side of yes, it. Yes, but this, this, this is Hollywood Hulk Hogan, though, isn't it? We're supposed to believe it is a... I was going to say a whole new character, at least a, a transformation of the character. I'm not going to say he completely blew it. I think he was probably helped slightly by uh, by the editing, which was very, very slickly done and gave things a whole new feel. So it wasn't a disaster. He certainly didn't embarrass himself out there with this particular promo. Um, but I, I personally think that's something they need to keep uh, a little bit of an eye on. But by and large, again, this was something totally new. It's people thinking way outside the box. And again, you Despite its flaws, you've got to give them so much credit for it, and I'll, I'll gladly do so. Yeah, um, it, enough going for this, I think. Um, you know, I, I don't think we should complain if we can hear the Hulk Hogan of old in the Hulk Hogan of new, because I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and and yeah, to a to an extent, I, I'd um, 
I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with the viewpoint that Hogan maybe didn't smash it out the park, but but equally I think it you know to an extent it kind of got lost in in everything else. There's so much going on. I think you'd have just been very very excited and intrigued to to see the kind of presentation of it all. Um, and yeah, that will end this month's show. Um, I don't know how long this show's going to be, but it'll be pushing along as we've ever done, because uh, there are a lot of inserts to do, and also Rory, Rory's marathon TV reports I haven't recorded yet either. Um, so we'll, um, we'll, we'll we'll get in on uh, on that in a bit. Uh, Wayne Lithgow, thank you very much, Wayne. Thanks very much, Bob. Uh, we've been building to this show pretty much since you started, um, in terms of um, all the WCW shows we've done. Uh, what a fascinating 18 months it's been leading up to all this. Oh yeah, superb. Um, like I said, we've just been building up to this moment, and uh, and yeah, I'm so happy to have been on the show and, and reviewed it. Thank you. Um, and when you can be found on Twitter? I can. Wayne L84. And Roy McNamara. It's been a pleasure, Bob. It's been uh, it's been a big one. Yeah, certainly has been. Uh, Roy, you can, you can be found on Twitter. Yep, Roy's DM. R O R S D M. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that will bring to conclusion the, the end of, of Volume 1. Volume 2 is WWF looking at international incident, a slightly less important month compared to what we've just done. Uh, volume 3 is ECW, that's Dell and Chris taking you through all the action from that. And volume 4, we take a, a trip to uh, UFC 10, the debut of Mark Coleman. That's uh, what one interesting enough too as well there. Uh, I mentioned now as we're on Volume 1, next month is going to be is going to look a bit weird. Uh, Rory will probably present in one of the shows. Uh, Dell will be presenting one of the others and Chris White will be presenting one of the others and my participation in next month's show could be non-existent uh, in the shows next month. We will see about that. I'm out of the country for about two weeks. Um, so, yeah, basically next month will look a bit weird before Warren. I haven't left the project. Um, all being well, I should be on at least some of the WCW section next month's show. But normally this should be resumed in September um, and going forward as well. So don't be uh, don't be alarmed by that. Anyway, uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamber. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling20RS. Wrestling20RS com everything's on there iTunes RSS blogs back episodes all that stuff um, listen to all the other episodes this month and that'll do that I've been Bob Bamba this has been volume one of the July 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast and until next time goodbye <laughs>